Behold, behold, behold the pale podcast. I don't have to tell you things are bad. Everybody knows things are bad. It's a depression. Everybody's out of work or scared of losing their job. The dollar buys a nickel's worth. Banks are going bust. Shopkeepers keep a gun under the counter. Punks are running wild in the street. There's nobody anywhere who seems to know what to do, and there's no end to it. We know the air is unfit to breathe, and our food is unfit to eat. We sit watching our TVs while some local newscaster tells us that today we had 15 homicides and 63 violent crimes, as if that's the way it's supposed to be. We know things are bad, worse than bad. They're crazy. It's like everything everywhere is going crazy, so we don't go out anymore. We sit in the house, and slowly the world we're living in is getting smaller, and all we say is, please, at least leave us alone in our living rooms. Let me have my toaster and my TV and my steel-belted radios, and I won't say anything. Just leave us alone. Well, I'm not going to leave you alone. I want you to get mad. I don't want you to protest, I don't want you to ride, I don't want you to write to your congressman because I wouldn't know what to tell you to write. I don't know what to do about the depression and the inflation and the crime in the street. All I know is that first, you've got to get mad. You've got to say, I'm a human being, God damn it. My life has value. My life has value. My life has value. Behold the Pale Podcast. Folks, welcome back to uh, another episode of Behold, 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 a Pale Podcast. Last episode of the season. We're uh, squeezing one last one in on you you guys before we have a little break on the Behold. But uh, during that break, we have a perfect show for everybody to jump on over to. You know what I mean? One of uh, the the newest additions to the Boombastic Media Network, the lighter side of serial killers with Keith Rovery. How you doing? Every, I'm very good. All right, the last episode, closing on out. Good deal. <laughs> closing on out. We'll be back though. <laughs> we'll definitely be back. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Every every all good things need a little bit of a break, you know what I mean? So yeah, for sure, for sure. We got we we have a bunch of members of the podcast that went missing. It's like uh, so that we you know it's a conspiracy type podcast. So I got I love these people. I got to check in and make sure they're not like in trash bags somewhere. You know what I mean? Like I got to go find them. So me and Alex are gonna hit the road. And make the pilgrimage to go across America and find well, them. Well, what can I say? You look out the window and the black helicopters are circling around, you know. Mm-hmm. Anything can happen. The men in black come down, grab our guys, pull them out. It is a conspiracy keep... protest, so it is a cons- You never know. It would not be the know. first time. <laughs> Big ransom stuff. Um, for the listeners out there that have been listening for a bit to the show, uh, you might remember Keith from a, a previous episode they did. Keith is also a great author of true crime. You know what I mean? Uh, I think the first time he was ever on this show was coming to do uh, promoting his first uh, book, Serial Killers in Heaven, Victims in Hell? Question mark. There you go. Exactly. Exactly. Heavy. I remember we talked about how heavy that title is. You know what I mean? 
pick that up. Yeah, I, I still get questions about that. And uh, well, once people read the book and see what it's all about, it's a little different. But I wanted that yeah. shocking title. And it, it shocks people for sure. <laughs> no doubt about it. It's a great book. It a little easier. On, the second book I took a little bit easier. A little bit easier on the title. Yeah. The story of why you, which we'll pop into in a little bit. Thank you. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, definitely. You know, the first book's on Amazon. Go grab that immediately. If you, if you guys didn't pick it up before, definitely go grab it. It's a great read. Um, you know, Keith's background, he's been corresponding with uh, serial killers and such for uh, many moons now. You know what I mean? Started mm-hmm. as kind of like, which was it originally out of interest or as an author, approaching it as an author first? I don't think I ever asked you that as far as reaching out to them yeah, themselves, as as reaching out, yeah. it started um I, I loved autographs you know kind of growing up and uh you know from autographs um sports guys this and that when i started getting more serious from you know, magicians then professional musicians um professional wrestlers mma fighters and i thought it was cool let me see if i can get a mafia guy I knew a couple authors and some producers and things. And so I got a couple mobsters were kind of in hiding through the back channels through producers like Sam Rebogervano and Larry Mazza, uh, Kevin Weeks uh, from White and Bulger's gang. And then, I was, yeah. and then I started getting, um, writing a couple guys in prison. I thought, what if I get like a Manson family member, a serial killer? And, and I think Charles Watson, I believe, was the first person who wrote me back, Charles Tex Watson. I still have a great relationship with him. Talked to him uh, once a month at least. Um from that on the side, I've always been in prison outreach, prison rehabilitation programs, prison ministry from the from the Christian aspect of it. So I've always been involved in, um, and even before I got to the level of, you know, reaching out to the worst of the worst, um, it was just my passion because a lot of people got forgotten about in prison. Oh, I don't want to touch them. They did this type of murder. They did that. And that's the per- people I ran to. Mm-hmm. They needed the more help. You know, they're more forgotten and not really, they don't, they're going to go out of their way to join a program to help get rehabilitated. But if someone goes in and sees that they care about them and their well-being, uh, organization that once they get out, we can help them back on their feet. Um, uh, in, in South Jersey, aftercare, it's called, the prison ministry and out, aftercare, I should say, in uh, Camden, New Jersey, right outside of Philly, one of the worst you know, neighborhoods in, in the country. Um, so it all kind of tied together. Once I started writing him for uh, like a fandom, hey, let's get an autograph, it quickly changed to, wow, these people... Um, are like the hated, you know, the ones who the society hates the most, no love, no care whatsoever. I'm like, perfect, (laughs) perfect for me. You know, not the fandom kind of left pretty quickly. Now is really about the psychopathic mind that people say can't be healed, can't be changed. Well, I'm for a fact, I know what they can, not by leaps and bounds, you know, tiny little baby steps. And, uh, and sometimes all it takes is somebody who cares about them, who um, I think love might be a strong word, but love to see them better. That I truly care about them getting better, getting well, because some of them will be released one day. And I'm trying to do my little tiny part in helping that along. So I tend now just to reach out to the worst of the worst. Um, and then it, see that transformation little by little. Um, some, none at all. Some are going to be the narcissistic, serial killer, psychopaths that they are. Others um, really appreciate what I do and others like me do. Um yeah, so it's kind of how it all blended together. You know, starting out as a, hey, I'm going to get an autograph from a mobster. Oh, I got a Manson family member. Hey, what about serial killer? And it quickly changed to really what my life's all about is helping others um, try and, again, my little tiny part of the world as far as making the world better, making society better. What can I do? What can my little part do 
um, just make a difference, I guess you can say. As crazy as that sounds for a true crime fanatic like myself. <laughs> I love it, man. I really appreciate the movement because it is, it's like, the, it is like kind of they did something bad and, and it, they've been exiled away and stuff like that, or they're put away for a little bit until they come back out. And I always like the approach of like the, re, the I think people don't think of a situation as like, they might see a bunch of serial killer stuff and go, oh, this is like a dark, weird thing. But at the heart of it, it's really trying to like make mm-hmm. them better for when they are released, if they release or even just exi- existing in life, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. For, for whatever's left of it. I, mm-hmm. I, I, I've always liked that plight of it, you know? Mm-hmm. Exactly right. It's a good deal. Mm-hmm. Uh, you, you can you're talking to Alexander Hawk over here, which will be behind the bars pretty soon for something crazy, <laughs> I'm sure. Uh, no, no, really? only if they catch me and no one has caught me yet. So I'm pretty good on that. He said he wanted to bring the show into stardom by killing me and having it becoming a publicity <laughs> thing, which no, uh, I would never kill you. Pat. We're not fully we're not fully not going to do that yet. So that's not <laughs> out of the question. Don't worry, if we're going to do it, it's going to be all on on the broadcast. I want everyone to see uh, my handiwork. Believe it or not, yes. Yeah. (laughs) Perfect. Just another another book, another book I can write, another person I can write. Little do we all know this is research right now for the next book. That's it. I like. I I I was uh, wondering uh, since you said you were uh, started. like tracking down like mobsters and and those kind of people first, and then got into serial killers. Uh, one of the things I always kind of wondered, and you're probably the only person I could really ask this: what what is the big difference? Do you think between like uh, a serial killer and a hitman? What what is because I mean when you think about it, both of them do the same thing, except one gets paid and one doesn't. Mm-hmm. I at least I'll, that's how I've always seen it because you have you know people who go into like uh, the uh, Kalinskis and all that, and they all seem to have the pretty much this a very similar outlook on human life and and mm-hmm. no emotion and all that. What what makes the difference between you know doing this as a profession or is doing this as well? I, I guess as I don't know, for kicks or therapy or whatever, you know, those Mm -hmm. who are serial killers look at it as. Well, I think we have three categories here. You have hitmen who you can probably more towards the psychopathic side, maybe a little serial killer tendency a little bit. You have a mobster who could, could or could not be psychopathic. It's just a lifestyle they grew up in, similar to like a gang member on the street. Okay. And they can certainly be a hitman part in the mob, too, or somebody like a Kuklinski who has way more numbers in his head that he said he killed than the, probably the actual facts from other mobsters that I talked to who probably even knew the guy. So his numbers may be a little fictional of how many exactly yeah. uh, his total. But, yeah, he would be definitely a psychopathic serial killer, um, even if a small portion of what he said was true. You can The Iceman can definitely think of that category. He's then you obviously have ser- a serial killer themselves who for numerous reasons kill. Um, and then just, like I said, just a regular mobster who it's the life. They don't want yeah. to. Um, and a hitman guess you can go both ways. There's a guy, uh, Wild Bill Holber, 
in a Panamanian prison. He's one of the episodes of the podcast I do. I talk to him almost on a daily basis. They can smuggle, including guns. They had a big shooting among inmates there recently. Um, it's just a horrible place. They got enough money and power in inside this prison. You can. He has a new iPhone. New, newer, I should say. Um, he gave a great analogy to where if somebody put uh, a pile of human feces in front of you and said, I'll give you $1 million to eat this. You don't want to eat it. For a million dollars, you might take a couple spoonfuls and as horrible <laughs> as it is, and it, but you Ooh. might do it for the right amount of money. So he kind of equated himself as a hitman um, in that category of just for the money. No loss, no pleasure. Yeah. He hated it, but he did what he did to make money and make a very lucrative lifestyle. So I guess so you got a mobster or a hitman who could be psychopathic, could be similar to a serial killer yeah. or a mobster who just does it for the money or the lifestyle. You know, like I said, more like a gang member, you know, shooting out on the streets. You know, after a while, it kind of you get every kill you get from what people tell me, obviously, every time you kill somebody, it gets a little easier. Yeah. It might not be easy. It might still haunt you for a while. And then after a certain amount, you kind of just get numb. You know, not because you don't have that emotion of empathy, but you're so hardened to it because uh, especially in the Philadelphia Camden area that I have personal experience with, when the child grows up without a father or a father figure, um, it's a basic psychology. It's human nature. You're going to search for a father figure. You know, it's made with the way we're meant to be, a mother and a father. So you don't have a father, you're going to reach out for him. If that person's a gangbanger on the street and a drug addict, and you're a little child, you don't know that's right or wrong. Yeah, it's just your life. So that person's a little bit easier to kill, and that gets easier and easier. Uh, whether they enjoy it or not, not, not like a serial killer lives and thrives for it. I mean, that's obviously different. So I think there's a couple of different categories there. Um, can they mesh? Yes, but I think there's there's differences for sure. You got that Wild Bill episode popped in my head when Alex asked that question too. Mm-hmm. Great episode, and it's wild over there for sure. Uh, when you bring up the Iceman, though, I love the I, I like the Iceman. I shouldn't say I love the Iceman, <laughs> uh, but I, I was a, I was a big fan of the Iceman, the lore and the, the myth of the Iceman. Since before the movie, I remember HBO did those documentaries, which Keith probably seen. But Hawk, I don't know if you've ever have you ever seen the HBO. I, I've seen a few interviews with him. Yeah. Um, back when I was uh, getting uh, into a, a certain role that uh, you should know about. I, of course, of course, <laughs> good. But uh, yeah, um, yeah. I mean, I, I remember watching it, and, and I have to say that you know he came off. Like I said, you know, totally remorseful, remorseless, and and all that, and and totally psychopathic. And I always, always kind of wondered, you know, what was the big difference other than the paycheck? Well, I mean, yeah, yeah, because I mean, when when you you're looking and listening to a person like that, obviously does not have any any emotional sympathy or anything about that. And, you know, it's also if you go and, and look at um, different kind of people like that, some of them have, you know, very regular lives. They work on Wall Street. They, you know, they, you know, are like uh, titans of industry, which they use that kind of, you know, kind of that drive that, you know, kind of um, disconnect from human emotion to look at people as as figures and all that. So, I mean, if you are born with those kind of things, it doesn't mean you have to be a murderer or a killer. There are many different options. But it helps. But it helps. 
<laughs> well, well, if you end up in 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 the uh, the lifestyle of uh, with a mob and 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 gangbangers, yeah, I think that that kind of um, tendency of not caring about your fellow man probably helps in those kind of work. Well, the Iceman was very psycho. He was a key, he, like he's a dude that probably would have. Well, I believe, I think the first death or the killing or the first killing or two weren't even for the mob. Like I want to say, the first one just people insulted him in a bar, and he just killed them. And he got you. You did he go? He might have went into the war and came back. I want. He might have <laughs> been a dude that were no. That's the that's that's um. I pay, the paint houses guy. That's the yeah, dude he, who killed Hoffa. Yeah. Yeah, he had a few um, from um, there was one in the bar, um, got some rope. And so he says outside of the bar and hung a guy yeah. kind of from behind him this way. Uh, yeah. Car uh, incident guy was trying to cut him off the road or saying some things to him and caught up with him. Um, there's at least newspaper clippings about that. So that, that sounded like it was pretty legit. Um, but yeah, when you have a psychopathic mind, you're saying, I mean, there's plenty of people who are psychopathic out there. Like you guys were just talking about who aren't killers. It's almost like a perfect storm. And I touch a lot about that in the story of you, where if your amygdala is damaged in your frontal yeah. cortex, um, usually there's three main things. One, you don't experience fear, empathy, hmm. or the ability or putting on the brakes. Like if someone bumps your shoulder, if you're walking in a bar or somewhere like that, and like, hey, you know, then your initial thought might be to turn around and smack the guy, but your amygdala kicks in, say, oh, no, you let it go. They don't have that. So they don't have the ability to stop. Now, that doesn't mean you're necessarily a psychopath. Um, you mean you're a prime candidate, you know, to get a job as, let's say, uh, defusing bombs or a race car driver. Um, a lot of times also tied to you can't really experience normal emotion. Like you can't get your rocks off, so to speak, mm. unless something extreme, extreme, extreme happens to you. So cliff diving, skydiving, those type of extreme sports um, like Dana Gray, the podcast with her to see her called Dana Gray, skydiving. Mm. That's really the only thing that really got her rocks off until she started killing and went on and spending sprees and things like that. Yeah. Um, it was a little tied to, to her mother and childhood stuff. But if you mix the perfect storm of childhood development, obviously specifically abuse, um, you're already psychopathic unless you had a brain injury. I mean, there are head injuries or tumors that can cause this too, but you're still probably born, you know, a little lower volume amygdala or something might have happened. It's head injury, obviously, some of your major serial colors, but there's something with the brain mixed. With childhood trauma, abuse, something triggers it, if not long, a long history of abuse growing up. Um, but there's many people. I mean, I got a big can seat here. I got a big dent on my head up top. You know, I don't experience empathy like normal people for animals and things, too. So I even have a little, not psychopathic, but as far as empathy goes, I can understand a lot of degrees. You can tell me the most horrific story you've ever told anybody in your life. Oh, my, I had a fire in my house last night. Wife died, kid died, this died. That. I can't feel that. I'll do anything I can to help you. You know, yeah. so I'm not like psychopathic, you know, but I can't, <laughs> I can't feel your pain. Like when my father died a couple of years ago, yeah, I was, you know, crying like a baby, but I can't feel my mom's pain or my sister's pain. You know, they're balling, of course, too. I can't feel what I just, it's my loss. I, I can feel that. But taking on other people's emotions and pain, I just don't have that ability. That's so, kind of like, kind of like a blessing in disguise when you think about yeah. it. <laughs> I know people are like, don't you want it? No, I don't want it. That's, I, I, Definitely not. I, I'm the other extreme. I take everyone, everyone's pain on. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> but I watch. <laughs> I'll see like a dark. I'll see like a like a like one of those super sad 
like fucking Facebook videos floating around about a kid in a bad situation. I'll be fucking bummed out all day over that shit. I'll be like, ah. yeah, see, I can't, I don't have that ability. Oh, you're a lucky duck. So it's exactly, <laughs> I'm here for it, you know. I'll send a kid 20 bucks or something, but I, <laughs> but well, I don't but, send money. So you're, you're, better I just mean. No, I I'll do what I could to help, let's say, you <laughs> yeah. know what I mean? If something's tragedy happens. Um, yeah, but that's just, and I think also that's why. I think I do what I do with serial killers and mobsters and people on horrible things. Not too much. Maybe once or twice a week, I'll get a message saying something like, what about the victims? That's what the first book I wrote, wrote a you know, chapter called, what about the victims? But maybe if I did have that extreme empathy or maybe I'm not doing what I'm doing, Yeah. you know, I mean, I, I still think I would, because my, I would hope I would have empathy for them to still want to make them better and see, you know, make a difference. I'm, but I, I don't know, to be honest yeah. with you, but I think that helps me what I do. Because I don't, I don't, not that I don't care about the victims. I'm doing this for future victims, you know, so hopefully they can change their lives a little bit, especially those who are getting out. But maybe, maybe not, you know, maybe if I did have more empathy, I wouldn't be doing this at all. And look at somebody like me as a lunatic. So I, I don't know. I think I'm still doing good, but uh, who knows? Who knows? I want to pop into the YU a little deeper in a second, but like, what do you, is it really just a perfect storm? Do you think? Because you're right when you like, like I know people that have been, you know, sexually abused as a kid or physically abused and like you, they're tarnished by it, but they're not going out and killing people. They're not going out and raping people, but like some people do. What do you think the, what do you, it's just a perfect storm of chem, chemicals in the brain that just kind of, what, what do you yeah, think? I mean, there, yeah. There's, you can have a family of three, all three children, let's say we're equally abused mentally, sexually, whatever it may be. And not that they're always scarred, of course, but none of them will turn out, you know, to be a killer or nothing like that. Um, but yeah, if one is born with a psychopathic mind, you know, if they could do an MRI and hook up the, you know, electrodes and stuff to the brain and, and find out what's going on there, if one had that already, the ability to do that, you know, or the lack of remorse, if that was already in there mixed with abuse, okay, makes sense why one of them would be the abuser, you know, turn out to be somebody violent offender or not. Um, if you don't have a psychopathic mind, um, and let's say you're not even abused. It goes back to, it goes to so many things. Let's, for example, into the mother's womb. Um, and I really break this down in the book, but if you have one cigarette a day, your mother, if the mother does while, um, while she's pregnant, one cigarette a day increases the chance that kid's going to be a violent offender. The more she smokes, which is lack of oxygen to that child's brain as she's smoking more and more and more, it increases. And these are longitudinal studies, you know, a cases that follow like a hundreds of people from the womb up until 20 years old and how much the mother smoked, um, how much the mother drank, what kind of vitamins, um, what kind of a diet, healthy diet or not diet, uh, drugs, um, environment living in, even while she was pregnant, um, information about how to raise children, all these positive things just while child. So if you have a mother, let's say in inner city smokes a pack or two a day is a drinker doing drugs, um, certainly not a healthy diet, that kid has a 60 to 70% chance is going to be a violent offender, you know, by the age of, you know, by teens, basically. Um, nothing to do with a psychopathic brain. Now, you might be born probably more fetal alcohol syndrome and, and all these other facial deformities you can just see as a child's born. Um, so a lot of it is environmental, certainly not counting the brain itself. Now, why one if everything is exactly the same, why one child would do go turn out to a dark path and one not, 
I don't think there is an answer for that. You know, if everything is equal, who knows? Um, but it is a perfect storm to a degree where even if you have a psychopathic brain, you're, it's almost always mixed with some type of abuse. Um, but there's also different types of brain abnormalities. You have a guy like Jeffrey Dahmer, where not really abused growing up, you know, or um, even stories, even guys like uh, Ramirez or Ted Bundy. But there's certain abnormalities where when you get the sexual sadism part, well, the out of I mean, there wasn't really, I mean, there, uh, Jeffrey Dahmer's dad made sure he was cremated before they can do a study on his brain, which his mother wanted and which you know, a lot of people wanted to see. But guys like that, they're abnormalities in the brain. Um, the only time they get any gratification, feeling, emotion is for, you know, sexual violence, you know, especially with Bundy and Ramirez. And I don't think Dahmer never really falls in that category, but maybe this new guy out there was it Brian Kohlberg or whatever his name is, the Idaho killer. Yeah, I think yeah. he might fall and may, maybe fall into that category too, uh, where, okay, it's probably not abuse growing up, but there's something with the brain that just causes them the only emotion feeling, the only time they get turned on is from that sexual violence. You know, Bundy said it started from like the magazines he saw as a bull. That's, this turns me on. Imagine if I really did it with somebody. Um, so there's obviously different areas, you know, and that's, but yeah, you make abuse with anything is going to make it worse. Now, now why? Ted Bundy, didn't in the end, like his last interview before getting put to death, he blamed like everything kind of on pornography and how that was bringing down the, the world. Uh, yes, but I think we have to be mindful when we listen to that. Yeah. Because the person he was talking to. Okay. And he, a stay of execution is what he really wanted. Uh-huh. So he's bringing all these kind of new facts in there, hoping people maybe want to, hey, let me do another interview. Let me really get it out there more. Now, he, he's talked about sexual sadism, you know, a little bit before. Yeah. Um, how truthful he really, really was in that last interview. Uh, most people put a, a, a kernel of truth, I believe. Um, but I think he also wanted to stay of execution to have more studies done on his brain or whatever it may be. Let's go down a little further because the person who was talking to the Christian minister, his whole thing is pornography. Now, don't get me wrong. If you're a Christian, yeah, porn's probably not the best thing, yeah, you know, yeah. biblically <laughs> speaking, you want to do. But that was his crusade was that. And Bundy was not that he was a genius, but he's highly intelligent, certainly knew that. Mm-hmm. So he was just basically feeding him all the porn stuff. So he's, you know, he has a little another platform to preach from to talk from and hopefully on Ted, obviously he lost that battle, uh, but maybe more studies done on him, keep him alive a little longer. So I'm sure there was definitely truth to it, but I think he really talked a little more um, to please the, the preacher guy than, than anything else. Yeah, that, that's a good point. Cause he does, he's very charismatic and he was like, a, he always looked like he was acting like there, he was doing the work, like the whole trial after even in that interview it's very like he's pushing the agenda type yeah. deal yeah well that's what he gets to strive when you're a narcissist like that also you know and i just uploaded a three-minute video with keith jesperson on the tiktok page when i asked him about the idaho killer yeah now they well what do you think of that guy he's like i know he's a ted bundy he likes the fame he's a, you know he's looking for like criminal psychology stuff it's almost like he did it now he can sit back and let's see how it plays out because this is what i turns me on to see how these crime scenes and what plays out, similar to Ted Bundy. Oh, I can see how the court plays out now because I could be a moment to, you know. So not that his only reason why I'm doing it, but Keith brought up a good point where, yeah, maybe that's a big part of it because I want to see how this plays out. Yes, it's a thrill, whether it be a sexual thrill, I don't know, but some kind of thrill in the killing, obviously. Um, but also, you know, I think he would was we heard saying that uh, um, it's going to be okay or you know whatever the the, the killer said uh, to the people, I'm going to help you take you there, whatever he said. 
so much drama with sexual gratification that it is. Um, but someone even studies criminal psychology and crime scenes and all that. The first thing you should know is don't kill anybody in the house. Right. <laughs> Let alone leaving your knife sheath there with your nurses on and your DNA here, you know, all this crazy stuff. So obviously mentally he's not stable. He seems like a very intelligent guy, but obviously unstable to, you know, some basic things you're, you know, you're, you're, you you did wrong, you know? Right. So I think Keith was, has a kernel of truth there seeing this guy wanted to see it play. Yeah. Get his rocks off now seeing it, you know, played out. So it's, I mean, time will tell. You know, when, when, when you talk about sexual evilness and you brought up Ramirez, I can't think of anybody even worse than Gacy and the Dama stuff. Like Ramirez was so fucking dark and like, Mm-hmm. You think that you think that was real, or do you think that he 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 was a show busy guy about it too? Like for the no, I mean stuff. not really because if you look a lot of interviews, he didn't talk much. Yeah. He didn't talk much about the cases. He said he, he had a, 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 on a piece of paper what he wanted to get across. Hmm. Now he wasn't that open about his crimes. He usually my, my and he re- kept repeating the same thing his lawyer told him to say or what he hmm. planned to say. He never got that unless you know him personally. He never really got that deep into his crimes. As far as you know, showboating to the world, you know, like Keith Jesperson's kind of the opposite. Yeah, you know, he's still unremorseful completely, and that's why that's why it's. I mean, he's a funny guy. So if you listen to podcasts, I'm kind of laughing along too because I mean, um, I talked to him maybe twice a week, um, which was hysterical. We had a belated Christmas dinner uh, this weekend at my parents' house. My sister and her boyfriend were, or her husband, I'm sorry, were uh, uh, out of state with his family. Well, he called during dinner. And I pick up the phone. I'm like, hey, you know, it's, it's Keith Jesperson. You're like, you got to answer it. You got to answer it. <laughs> so, you know, I answered the phone. I talked, hey, I'm about to be out the door. It's only talked to me about a minute or two. But it's like the greatest Christmas dinner they ever had. He goes, hey, how many people can say you talked to a serial killer and now <laughs> on yeah. Christmas Day? Um, yeah, but I mean, he's very unremorseful, un- you know, about everything he did. But he's he's definitely look at me, look at me to a degree. Mm-hmm. Um, I bring a point. I think we're going to hear a little bit more about it. Uh, in part two of the podcast with Keith. And we actually talked to him last night. I asked him, might even be a part three, more stuff that he wants to get out. Right. But when I asked him, when he was already, his first murder of Tanya Bennett, two people took credit for it and were in jail for it. It's like, well, why would you open your mouth about it? Why don't you just keep it shut and get away with it? Now, I still lean towards, because you want the credit for it, you know, and, and that. But he brings up, no, if I wanted credit for it that much, I would have wanted a trial. I would have showed better like, you know, Dennis Rader and BTK. You know, like when he was, when he was in trial, or the judge asked him about each crime and he stood up there in a suit and tie and explained in detail every single, he was, he was had a heart on the whole time. That's He's thriving for that. You know, up until maybe about a year ago, actually, I got one of BTK's very last letters when right. he's told me, you know, that I'm putting that moniker to bed now. But that was last year. <laughs> it was all this time. Um, so he's kind of, you know, thriving for it. Now with Ramirez, said very little. Very little detail about the whys and this and that about um what what got him off? But I think it's obvious just because of that sexual, violent nature that very sexual, like a Ted Bundy. I think they're oh, basically God. shared the same brain. Yeah, some of the darkest, like some of the darkest stuff you could hear about in true crime is like the Ramirez stuff. Yeah, and what those who know him personally, I'm going to have a guy who goes by William Harden. Um, almost every true crime documentary talks about murderabilia and true crime memorabilia. He's there. Yeah. He's he was friends with Manson, pictures with him. He was friends with Ramirez, friends with you know a lot a lot of famous famous people. Um, he was one of the first people I started talking to when I started getting into this, and we became friends pretty quick. Uh, I want to do shoot a pod an episode with him soon too, so he's going to come on very shortly. He told me a lot of things about Ramirez, yeah. a lot of things that people don't know. We'll get into it in the podcast too, uh, but 
one thing or two things I should say is um, the sexual nature. He was an extreme chronic masturbator, like like the world has never seen. Now, he would bring his wife that she was into it and some friends with him, you know, to come visit with him. And it got on the list and the glass would be I mean, Ramirez would be so close to the glass, had a little bottom part to it where the glass stopped. And he'd be real close to it. And he knew what he was doing. He knew yeah. it the whole time. He's jerking off the whole time when his wife was talking to him, when the other girl was talking to him, he would bring. Um, I think his niece went to visit him in Ramirez's documentary with the table they were sitting at. Even with his niece, he started jerking off under the table. And that was the last time she visited him. So he's just a chronic man. So it's, his sexual aspect, his mind is, you know, that's it. <laughs> that's all he's about. And he never bathed. He, he said he smelled so horribly bad constantly. Um, and we kind of knew a little bit about that before he got arrested, too. But, yeah, he's very, very, very stinky um, and just an extreme chronic masturbator. So obviously that sexual aspect is was always on his mind, you know, for sure. It was always on his mind, yeah. like the song, you know what I mean? And what's crazy, because I got a bunch of his letters. And uh, I, I think it's a lot of the letters I have are like on the cutest fishy paper, like Nemo, you know, crazy. <laughs> you think, and just reading his letters are just hysterical, funny jokes, dirty jokes and things like that. Um, but yeah, he was definitely a, a sexual sadist for sure. They said that Gacy was really bad like that too. Like if you were to talk to him, you'd have to talk about sex. That was like how it was. Yeah. yeah I mean, I never wrote to him personally, so I don't know exactly. Not too many. The only person I know, um, who knew him a little bit uh, and he was weird because he confessed to everything numerous times the police off the record you know because yeah. plain he told me about everything but on the record he'll still denied everything you know 99 percent of what he did he's, he just denied it wasn't me it was this now you got it all wrong and so he was he's a weird cat um tom otto um who i did a chapter in my first book on he was one of the most famous cases and i mean one of the still now i guess a familiar side where as a teenager he killed his whole family um, not, not so much of a little bit of abuse, but, um, as far as I forget what facility he was at, him, he was housed with Gacy for a while. And at the time he was like a kid, 17, 18 years old, uh, you know, good looking kid, long hair. Well, that's right up Gacy's alley, you know, like yeah. literally right that, that perfect sweet spot for him, if you will. Yeah. So Gacy was always sitting home in the yard, always say, I wish you could do this and do that with you. And he's like, dude, leave me alone. Leave me alone. We finally got to the point where he got so bad. He knocked him out. Punched them back on the ground, kicking them and stomping them and all that. So he wrote like one sentence in his book, Tom Otto's book called Survive by One. Like he just barely, like barely a sentence mentioning it. So I'm like, dude, you, you got to tell me the story. You can't yeah. just do one sentence about that. And another thing that he told me, and, and William Hart, he, he verified it too. And those who are serious collectors, the John Wayne Gacy paintings, his Pogo paintings, you know, they're worth probably the more than any other, you know, people's paintings, uh, thousands and thousands of dollars that he, he did paint. But he had mostly other people paint for him, set everything up in stencil. And uh, he's like, yeah, we all know that. But as long as he signed the back, that's all we care about. Yeah. But he had, he had so much money, he could pay other people to paint. He could pay the guards. He could pay um, – that way he can get private little visits. You know, and the guards kind of turn away and look away. Um, but, yeah, he, he was a special guy. I mean, I never got a chance to talk to him. But I know a couple people who knew him personally did a couple little tidbits for you there. Mm-hmm. So I, I wonder how many paintings it have floating around. It was just, you think like an like an ongoing because it'd sell them right. So it'd be like an ongoing, almost factory type printing out these of yeah. these different artists printing out these paintings. Yeah, you sell them for a couple hundred bucks at a time, and now they're worth you know thousands to thousands of dollars. 
That's what he'd sell them for a couple hundred bucks. Yeah, that's really it. People, whatever type deal. That's yeah. it. I mean, even nowadays, that's, I mean, a lot of things, I mean, see most of the stuff I get is for free. I mean, I pay for a couple of different things to help people out, support them a little bit. Um, but with Gacy paintings, but a lot of true prime art, you know, I'll see a piece that I had that I knew this person had, that I knew the person before him had, you can yeah. see it on like on the market. And uh, I mean, there's not, I mean, as far as the heavy hitters go, there's not many of us out there. You know, I mean, there's millionaires who might have a, you know, a gallery, you know, something a little fancy, but for the most part, um, there's probably, I don't know, maybe 10 or 20 players um, that, that really are deep, that know everybody, that the Sirico is right to personally, um, like Keith Jesperson. There's really only three of us that he that he does real artwork for, like a lot. Yeah. You know, there's only three of us that are, that are out there. Um, but with Gacy, his paintings are so much, and if I buy something for $3,000, well, I know I can sell it for five. Right. So you kind of see the same painting, and I get, you know, stuff that I sell and that I let go. Um, if it was given directly to me, very rarely do I let that go. To me, it's just more personal for me, unless that's the deal I have with somebody, you know, then I'll let, you know, just tell them. Um, but with, um, with, with such a small group of people, someone had asked me, well, did you get a, a certificate of authenticity for it? I'm like, a serial killer? Right. You know, did you get them a picture of them signing it or painting it? A serial killer? You know, like they have, <laughs> now, granted, you know, some might have the ability to take a picture with special apps that are out now on tablets. Yeah. But no, I don't get a certificate of authenticity. But realistically, the community is so small, you know when a fake is a fake. Yeah. You know, like a Keith Jesperson artwork. I know the colors that he uses. I know the pencils. I know the brand of pencils. I know the limited amount of stuff that he has or Charles Reinhardt and some of these other people. Even Gacy. We know the color of paint that he used. We know the board that he used. We know the back of the board, mm. um, the canvas. We know what the sticker on the back looks like. We know how he signed. So there's ways that you can kind of tell. And if you put one piece of fake stuff out there, because those guys who have, especially with BTK, and I got a large collection of BTK stuff, um, so I kind of know his deal too. But also I know a fake. And so if you get caught out for selling something fake, you're done. Because yeah. we all know, you know, I mean, and it's people, we all publish this stuff when we have something. So it's a small knit community that rat you out pretty quick and ban you basically from, and let everybody know who you are. A guy was selling, now he didn't purposely do it, but Keith Jesperson, quote unquote, the happy face killer, is not allowed to put any happy faces on anything. A smile, anything remotely a smiley face, he cannot do it or get thrown in a hole. This is for like a decade or something, for a very, very long time. Well, a guy was selling something with a happy face, almost like in the shape of like a little sun. So, and I told the guy, you know, just so you know, that's, there's a good chance that that's not Keith. He's not, he's like, what do you mean? Now he traded it, somebody traded it to him and he was selling it. He didn't know. He ended up taking it off, off the market. Like, no, he, he's not allowed. And then it was on like a piece of fabric, you know, and at the time he was like, he started getting some fabric, you know, to write almost like a big handkerchief that was already in place that he can't do any smiley faces. So that was a kind of a, a fraudulent, let's say, um, so we kind of know the fake stuff that's out there. We got a, uh, as we speak, we uh, down in my neck of the woods in Cohasset, there's like a weird thing going on right now with a dude who his wife's missing and they think he, uh, there's speculation that he killed her, but he was, oh, he, he killed her. He killed yeah, her. Yeah, he killed her, but I didn't want, I didn't want to fuck up the, the, the trial <laughs> or anything. Um, but I guess he was known previously for being a bootlegger of paintings. Like yeah, was, that was his deal. Yeah, so that was a weird, weird. Mm. Was a, yeah, yeah. That's good that you, that you caught that because yeah, people probably be fucking buku dollars. Yeah, and there's a big market for it. You know, I mean, I, 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's, I mean, right now it's the hottest. That's so it's a good time to, you know, as I said, even the, the podcast that, that I've started the books and things like that. And even a silly thing like TikTok, you know, I think I'm up to over six or 7,000 followers now in a few months. It's, it's a good time to be a true crime fan. It's even with artwork and yeah. I can let a couple, I can let a couple pieces go and make a couple grand without blinking an eye. And so the market is here right now for sure. The true question is like, I see that the Keith behind you, right? An original Keith right behind you, the Jesperson. Yeah, that's the Melting Mickey. There's two pieces he's famous for. Uh, one is, the, I mean, a lot, but Melting Mickey and one he just sent me called Boy Eats Rat or Boy Eating yeah. Rat. Wow. And, yeah. And the cool thing about the Boy Eating a Rat is a little special. I mentioned about the happy face. Well, the, the boy on his chest said happy. I think it said smiley face or something face on there. So he kind of snuck it a little in on me. Yeah. Yeah. So that's something I'm never, I'm not even, you know, like to post that one. That one's a little my secret, you know, to the side. Like and uh, Keith just told me, he sent it me, because that melting Mickey, I guess it got a little damage in packaging. So a couple little creases on it. So you know what? Let me do, do another one for me when you get a chance. Um, he's sending me two. He just told me, that's what doing at Christmas dinner. A quick conversation I had. A replacement for that. So I might let that one go. He said, another melting Mickey. That's very special. Yeah. That's my third one. So I don't know what the hell he's talking about. So I yeah. can't <laughs> wait. It's on its way. It's probably in another day or two. Obviously, I'll show you when I get it. Um, and another it. one. Um, I want it to, like I love the artwork of Pink Floyd, The Wall. Yeah. All the crazy characters. So I send him a whole bunch of images. Hey, there's some cool images, this and that. Do whatever you want. So that's on it. So I got two Melting Mickeys. One, apparently, a special Melting Mickey. With, that means they all look the same, so I don't know what he did to it. Yeah, yeah. Um, and then a Pink Floyd one. So we'll see We'll see what happens. Uh, hopefully tomorrow I get that. That's fucking dope. We'll mm-hmm. get one hanging in Boombastic Media Network. <clears throat> I was going to say, because you look at them and it's like, they, they're very, it, it, like the Mickey one, it has like an evil look to it, but it's made with love. So where's the, the middle ground with that? Because I know, I think last time you were on, we talked about the, the aura, the vibe deal where it's like, it's great art, but it's like almost the history that comes with it is dark. <laughs> it, you know what I mean? Like the vibe of that. But then at the end of the day, it was made as a gift with love, not, not really involving the bad stuff. So it's so... Yeah. It's kind of a weird place to kind of put that aura, yeah. that vibe. Yeah. Keith, Keith actually talks about that a lot yeah. um, because he told me, I mean, he doesn't write many people anymore. His carpal tunnels in his wrist. He's not going to be doing it, you know, forever. He's getting older, health-wise issues. Um, but he said, and, and he said, if, I, if, if they, people write him and say, hey, you heard about Keith on my podcast or a TikTok page and you're interested in artwork, you know, tell them to put it right in the first sentence and I'll write them back. I'll do artwork for them. You know, so he can make a couple bucks too. But he said, even in prison to this day, he said uh, part of his job is laundry, kind of load laundry and folding some things. If he touches something, the other inmates don't want it. Hmm. Like he calls it juju. He said he got bad juju. So he's like, what do you mean? I've been folding laundry for years here. You know how many things you've worn? No, I I can't. So it's real for him. The the aura around their memory. Guy's like, you know, nine feet tall. He's a very large guy. You know, I think he's like six, six or six, eight, something like a big tall guy. And even there in the prison facility, people leave him alone. You know, I mean, he had, you know, some friendships obviously there, but it's still real whether people don't want to write him because of that. Like they're going to, and I joke about it. I think I did one of the TikTok videos. I think it made it, I don't know if it made it in the first podcast I did uh, on the artwork. 
um, but they're literally afraid that they're going to turn into somehow a serial killer. You know, like that, that mojo, that juju, bad juju is going to get into them and somehow turn them evil or a spirit's going to enter them or something like that. If he touches something that they can't have a part of it, can't have it in their house. So it's a real thing that people next to him and even in real life. So of course the artwork, not so much what they drew, but what's attached to the paper and ink or crayon itself, it might jump onto you. I mean, that's the vibe that some of serial killers, people who actually tell them, well, I can't have that in my house. I can't hang that up because this person touched it and you know the the aura around it or whatever. Though it's a real thing. You know, I don't believe in any of it, but it's it's a real thing as far as what people believe. And that's other inmates that get that catch that vibe all the time. He said that, that all the time. That's I think it's funny that a, it's like an inmate that killed three people is worried that they might turn into someone that would kill five people. Amen. That that's a perfect idea for our next film, dude. Okay, <laughs> a, a traveling uh, piece of artwork from a serial killer that turns people into serial killers. That's it. Yeah, that'd be perfect. That's it. Yep. Acting, I can see you acting in that. <laughs> All right. So, why you? The story of why you? You, know mm-hmm. what I mean? you guys first started talking with each other. Yes. Hell yeah! Everybody, go check yeah. out the book. The, the book's a great read. I don't want to insult the first book, but I did. I think I like the second book better. I think, you know what I mean? Me too. Um, but they're both very good. Mm-hmm. I first started corresponding in November, I believe, 2021. Yeah, well, I saw the show. was a fantastic series. I think they did three seasons, if I'm not mistaken. Signs of a Psychopath. I think it moved around at the ID channel. I think it's on now. Um, and I think he believe it was season three, episode one called I Am Strange. And I mean, all the episodes were good. I mean, but sometimes someone just catches my eye, like, oh, I, I got to talk to that person. And um, and just watching his episode, just dead inside. I mean, face was, you know, not moving, just look right to the ground, mm-hmm. kind of feeling with some form of autism there, just some people that I know are autistic and, you know, have that level of you know, psychosis or mental instability. Um, for him, it turned out to be Asperger's uh, autism on, on the um, autism spectrum scale. Or awesome spectrum disorder, I think it's called now, but Asperger's basically. Um, but yeah, I just had to write him. And I so said the first couple of correspondence, he wrote right back to me. Um, but just like he talked, that very slow monotone, he'll write like four sentences. You know, you know, I don't talk much. Thanks for writing me, blah, blah, blah. I'm like, hey, let's open a dialogue and let's let's, you know, see how we go. That's what it's hard when I decided to write. I mean, the more I talked to him, um, not just I wanted to write his story, um, but his mind, you know, to get inside somebody who is he psychopathic. This is where it is tricky with autism. You know, I'm not that schooled yeah. in this stuff to know 100 percent what's going on in there because people with Asperger's, they can't read people. I mean, everybody. The main thing with that, if you have Asperger's, you can't know if something. Oh, you meant that as being funny. Oh, you're not interested anymore in talking to me because your eyes are looking down at yourself on the whole time. And I'm trying. They don't have that ability. A lot of them, especially you, uh, you Masaki, um, mixed with the abuse of a childhood and all these extreme things. So there's certainly a, a history of schizophrenia in the family. Uh, so there's certainly multiple mental issues there. Psychopathic, lack of remorse. Well, that's also tied with little autism. And it's what they have the ability to show certain emotions, to feel certain emotions, to understand certain emotions. So I'm not sure of what. Is he psychotic? Is it just all Asperger's? 
uh, with the abuse, uh, schizophrenic for sure. So it's hard to all the pinpoint to tell. But yeah, I just fell in love with not just him as a person. He's a very sweet guy when you break it all down to who he is in his, in his essence um, and what happened to him throughout his life. But his story of what happened to him, what he has done, uh, his just experiences mixed in with, man, I got to understand his mind more. Um, but after a couple letters, I was like, man, I'm not sure I'm going to get this book done in 10 years the way he writes, you know, a couple <laughs> paragraphs at a time. Um, and, and if you look, notice at the very back of the book, um, I posted or I typed out, um, I think it was 16 pages that he wrote about his life. I want to write up my life story. But the psychotic part of him literally was, he'll start out, yes, when I was five years old, I, I did this, this, then I bought a gun. Then So the years jump within seven. It, yeah. it, it's not readable. Yeah. So I wanted to purposely publish that at the back of the book to get people's minds open to the fact, this is who we're talking about here. Now you're reading it a lot of times when people read uh, my book or read some of the true crime documentary. Well, if I was him, I wouldn't do that. No, no, no. You can't say that because mm-hmm. you don't have that mind or experiences. So read the letters in the back. This is who you're talking to here. This is who you're trying to think about. You would have a conversation with when you read the complete psychotic way he writes and the way his mind thinks. It's not like a normal person. When you have that, when a schizophrenic mind kicks in, when it, when he's, you know, when that happens, yeah, we have phone conversations that go normally. I made him laugh, I think maybe once. I think I had him, I, I said something like, I said a lot of things that are funny. I think I'm a funny guy. Yeah. But only once he kind of caught the joke and, and, and laughed. That was it after, I don't know how many hours and hours, uh, 30, 40 hours of phone conversations, like a gazillion conversations. One time I made him laugh. Um, so that was, this whole thing was just fascinating. And the more I dug into him, I, everything just started tying together. Not to bring the Mountains as a whole, not just with autism. I did a couple of cases of other similar ones with, you know, with Asperger's. Um, they just turned out to be prison recidivism. Everything possibly tied to um, rehabilitation. Um, what's going wrong? The, the negative reinforcement style that American prisons have by punish, 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 not positive reinforcement. Specifically, psychopathic mind, they're not um, deterred by punishment. They could care less. But what, what they do open their minds up to is reward. Mm. So the reward or the positive reinforcement style is going leaps and bounds with a psychopathic mind. So there's little tiny things we're starting to see. And I, I lay these, all these out in numerous, numerous, numerous case studies of thousands of people, not just like hey, one case, no, thousands and hundreds, hundreds of, of different areas of rehabilitation. But it boils down to the prison system of negative reinforcement doesn't work, never will work. I don't think most of prison facilities care. There's more money in their pockets. Where Norway and systems of positive reinforcement hold in prison in Norway, now it's down to 20% recidivism, uh, or chances somebody's going to reoffend within three to five years once they come out. Or American prison facilities are 70 to 80% chance, except for a few like North Dakota and a few other places, Oregon's hooking up, they go to Norway. They're doing that model. You know, where the prison guards don't just taught hand, or aren't taught hand hand, hand to hand combat and tactical this time. No, communication skills, counseling. You know, teaching guys when they, they go to work every day, hey, you got to walk across, give them like a routine. You got to walk across the yard, the quote unquote job or to school. And they give them like a routine, cooking your own meals. It's beautiful inside, you know, not just cold hearted place. Now, uh, a lot of people say, well, I don't care. I hope they suffer and die. Can't argue with that on your point. But from my point of view, if you want rehabilitation, if you want this person to come out twice the monster they're ever going to go in, something uh, to look at how prison facilities work and the lack of rehabilitation 
for like Arizona prisons, one of the worst. They could care less. They just lock you up, throw it away key, and they could you know, care less. It's one of the worst worst states for uh, prison uh, recidivism. Mm-hmm. That prison and the business aspect of the prison system, you know what I mean, where it's just a money-making yeah. deal. Yeah, they let them out, they come right back in. And But the thing is, it's it's the, the uh, community and the states, as far as the people in the state, don't realize how much money is out of their pocket when somebody reoffends and turns around and goes right back in. You know, it's, it's, it's your tax dollars, you know, going in instead of them coming out to be a productive member of society and actually paying taxes themselves. Yeah. You know, they're just turned around and go back in. And, and from my personal experience, they're not even taught the basic skills of how to get jobs. And, and so when they come out, a lot of them commit a crime to go back in. It's easier, right. easier for them in, in prison than it was in the real world. You know, and so it's, it's just horrible. It's a horrible, horrible system. So the more I started looking into this, more doors open. So the book got bigger and bigger and bigger and bigger. Obviously, all ties through this with you, no story of you. Um, but then so much more just grew. This is something that, you know, uh, blossomed out. They've so many different roads, but all perfectly, I think, tied in together with uh, with everything. Uh, but that was kind of the gist of why it started it. Um, and it was still, I mean, it's still growing now. You yeah. know, it, like I said, the book's almost alive, like the very last chapter of basically, what's your part in this? It said the story of you, Y-O-U. Yeah. So it's like the book isn't done being written. Now it's now you're the author. What are you going to do now? What's your part? You know, especially when it broke down how, you know, picture a little baby just being born. No, I think I said a three or four year old baby whose mother was a drug addict, smoked nine packs a day, drunk, no health, no father, no this, abusive, trying to have an abortion at dinner, where all these things. Now look at that three year old, beautiful little baby boy. Now picture him at 17, 18 years old in front of the judge after he committed murder, this murder, that. Who's really guilty here? Mm. You know, is any accountability on this mother? That right. kid had a 60 to 70% chance she's going to be a violent offender she, for no fault from the womb. Mm. From the freaking womb, that is the percentage. doesn't matter what town he lived in. It doesn't matter. It's what goes on inside of you and your mother's womb with all these things happening. Now, it could be, now, a guy could turn to be a pastor too. But the 60 to 70% chance is going to be a violent offender. So when you see that kid before the judge, that's why I interviewed some judges. Well, now, how do you, and then some judges will kind of, yeah, you got to go to jail. I mean, you got to do your time, but yeah. let's not kill the guy. You know, not that I'm 100% against the, the death penalty, but let's look at it a little closer. You know, you know, right. does he have a psychopathic mind where let's talk about free will? Did he have free will not to do it? Well, if your mind does not have the ability to tell you to stop, you can't stop. You know, so it, it opened up so many questions. You know, some I have answers for, some I don't. Some get people thinking, you know, but the story of you, the last chapter of YOU is now what can you do? Even if it's, you know, getting information into a pregnant, single pregnant mother's hands that's in a, you know, that's homeless or in a, in a shelter, giving her a pamphlet, you know, don't put a post on Facebook. They probably don't have a phone or, or, or yeah. internet connection, you know. Uh, or how about uh, instead of, you know, the food pantry that you can donate to? Maybe not beans. But how about some vitamins, some healthy foods, and some omega, omega. What do you call it? Um, Acids. The fish oil and things like yeah. that. Um, yeah. So I think we all have our part, you know, to do. And that's kind of the ending of the book. I want the people to get that of. You know, it's it's your part. It's a little part or a bigger part. Like I'm trying to be doing a lot more than maybe your average person in this in this area. But um, it's up to you now. I love the message, man. It's kind mm-hmm. of it's a little bleak. It's a little bleak to put the you know. 
Because those people that are being irresponsible, like, don't care at all. Like, when we're talking about these mothers that are smoking yep. 12 packs a day, like, the scary part is I don't think they ever would care. You know what I mean? I think, like, mm-hmm. unfortunately, that's, like, what ha- how it got to that place and, like, by them not caring and getting somebody mm-hmm. that does not care to care when they mm-hmm. don't want to care. I don't know what I, what's harder than that. You know what I mean? You'd be surprised. Yeah. You'd be very surprised. Part of the, the ministry in Canton I help out with um, is called She Has a Name. I help out with the guys. She Has a Name is with the prostitutes, the mothers that we're talking about. This is exactly who we're talking about, uh, specifically in Camden. Now, most of them are prostitutes, obviously drug addicts on the street. Um, I got love for those people. I'm not saying anything bad about them. I got love for them. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. But that specific person, <laughs> but that specific person we're talking about is who these people try to reach. A lot of them listen to the show, so I don't want to offend them. There you <laughs> go. Okay. But the majority of the time, um, nobody has ever showed them unconditional love yeah. or cared about them. So it's much easier. Now, it's much easier than you think for them to break the walls down to allow you in doesn't mean they're going to change especially the drugs i mean that's that's the main thing you, you see somebody who oh, i see it all the time somebody's completely sober when they get out of prison is not the same person that was a drug addict committing the crime this person i would i don't have kids but i would let you babysit my child because i know you as a person when you're sober yeah back on the streets for a couple years couple months couple weeks and you're back to the same person he'll kill you for five dollars or he'll kill you for a jug of milk or juice that you know he can sell for 50 cents to get cigarettes or a little hit. Of, so that's the level people are talking about. But you'd be amazed how quickly somebody breaks down once they realize you're not in it for a game. You, you don't want anything from them because everybody wants something from them, whether free sex or free this. But once they realize you actually care, this organization drives around in 100 degree heat in like an old you know, school bus, half a size school bus, the shorter buses, handing out free water, free water, free medical care. So the amount of love that they are experiencing from like an organization like this, they're driving around handing out free water, you know, and free medical, that's obviously more costly. Um, but when they do realize you're showing them unconditional love that you're really there to help, they listen. Yeah. So you have their attention. So that's the easy part, believe it or not. Now, are they going to change? I know hundreds who have. You now, what do you do? They do, um, and we get together, do auctions and things for the ministry and get work. The testimonies are outrageous of people because someone showed kindness, someone showed love. You know, wow. they didn't come out and say, Oh, you need to change. You're a bad person. No, they, they handed me a bottle of water. They did stand with me, whether you're religious or not, or they prayed with me, or they gave me a hug or something so simple. <clears throat> and, um, and you'd be amazing. This is going back years ago, about 20 years ago. We're feeding the homeless in Philly, I think. Yeah, it was Philly. Um, all the food was handed out, the bagels, we had the pizza, you know, as much as we did a couple of different areas, we're all packed up and this guy comes late, nine overcoats, hat, you know, scruffy beard, older guy. I mean, I was, I don't know how old I was at the time, but he probably in his, not, he looked like he was 60, but you know, who knows how exactly how old he was upset that he missed everything. So I gave him some, some bagels and stuff, a little bit that was left, sat down next to him and I'm like, you, how you doing? He's like, oh, you know, just a normal, I'm, I'm good. I'm good. Wait to me, you know, is there anything I can pray for you about? Can I just pray for you? And again, not to get religious, but this is how simple something is. I put my hand over his shoulder. The second I touched him on the shoulder to kind of give him a hug coming in, the tears just started going down. He's like, no one has ever done this for me. No one has ever talked to me. And I just said, hey, buddy, can I pray for you? 
and just put my arm around him and pulled him in. Then he just started weeping. I was like 20 minutes. Everybody, come on, Keith, we got to go. I'm like, we ain't going anywhere. We're holding on. Yeah. They're telling me a story about his daughter and his newscaster in Michigan or whatever it was. Um, but that's how, if they sense unconditional love to you, just like a, a snap of the fingers, they can break down and and take their, you know, drop the walls down and really listen to what you have to say. Um, now, is that person, you know, guy could overdose the next day. Who knows what kind of change that happened? Or who knows, that guy might be back with his family. And I, I don't know those, you know, what's going to happen. But you'd be surprised how quick it is to break through. Even if he even if he overdosed the next day, you could have gave him a day of clarity and happiness. Yeah. I hope thing. You, yeah. I hope you get I hope you feel some happiness out of this good that you do because you do a lot of good, man, for sure. For yeah, sure. I appreciate it. I mean, the yeah. one thing you, it's hard to help have people come join alongside you. Yeah. You have to have patience because you might not be the person to seize that final result. In fact, it'd be very, very rare when you do. Yeah. Yeah, that final result might not be two years down the line. It might go back to prison two or three times before they finally, you know what? But over and over again, I kept thinking about our conversation, not just you, but maybe four other people who try to help somebody out. Um, so it's not like it's a quick result type of thing. Um, but it might just be me helping you get a job at the recycling plant. And we're right out of prison because they're going to hire you. You know, but that yeah. job might let you now you're a house user goes to cleaning. Now you're a cleaner. Now you're sweeping up the floors of McDonald's. Well, next thing you know, you're, you know, you're, you're back to your regular ID. You can get a job anywhere now, but it's those little baby steps that, you know, I just don't always know the final result. But like I said in, in the book, at the ending of the story of you, even if it's a tiniest little thing, you know, tiniest little thing where like you can adopt a family almost, you know, if you know, it's a single mother with a kid, just adopt them. Maybe, maybe it's five little groceries for them once a week, once a month. Yeah. You know, offer a ride. Hey, offer to babysit one. I mean, the tiniest little things that just you can do. You don't have to, you know, dedicate your entire life to it. Like some people do, but just do your part. Even if something tiny in somebody's life to make a difference, um, that can go a long way. You can go a lot further than than you would even think. Um, just a small, small amount of kindness, like paying for somebody's. There was times somebody had a, they couldn't afford fruit. I'm in the grocery line, and I forget what they ordered. One thing, and it's like two or three oranges or something. They didn't have to, but they had a handful of change. They couldn't afford oranges. I figured I got that. Don't worry about it. It was like the greatest thing that person anybody ever done for this person. You know, this was maybe five or six years ago. Now, to me, I bought you an orange, a couple of oranges, whatever fruit that it was. You know, yeah. that's something you know that maybe I, I've forgotten about until now. Actually, and this is years ago. But who knows what something so simple as that? But I know the person didn't have any money. You know, just the way they were dressed. I vaguely remember the way they smelled. Couldn't afford a couple of extra oranges to whatever you're buying. But you know, who knows how? You know, we don't know how far that goes in somebody's life for the positive kindness is like it's it's like pure love man it's like the ultimate positive energy like when you think about it you know like mm-hmm. my my friend over here alex gets very emotional over the slightest happy beautiful things it takes me like a lot a lot but like kindness the one thing that always gets to me it's kindness. When you see mm-hmm. like a video, like I like I seen a video a week ago, some kid who was like handicapped and he but he was wrestling like on the high school wrestling team. OK, yeah. he, he wrestled a kid and the kid let like wrestled with him and let him beat him, dude. And I'm like, I got tears running down my face, yeah. dude. I was like, this shit. Right all. Yeah. And I'm just I had like, to console him afterwards. <laughs> kindness. It's 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 and you're, you're dead on correct about that. Like when you when 
those folks are like so hammered by fucking life. And then when people want to just say, I care about you, you know, even if they're past the point of not caring about themselves anymore and people like, and people are just like, just to know people care about them. Like it's getting to me right now. It's fucking a beautiful thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. That's good stuff, man. And that's just like regular quote unquote people. Yeah. But when you deal with serial killers or the psychopathic mind who are highly intelligent and street smart, they see right through someone's BS right away. Yeah. I mean, they know when somebody just is writing them because they want an autograph or, or letter, you know, just to, hey, well, I can sell it online. And they know pretty quickly who's being sincere. Yeah. You know, who, who like, I have no agenda. You know, I don't want anything from you per se. You know, maybe now a little bit, hey, come on my podcast, you know, something, you know, maybe that. Yeah. But, but I think since I already have a good relationship with people and I realize I don't really want anything from you, I think that's why I probably talk to more than most people. Or especially the way they, you mean, heard, you know, some of the podcasts and some of my stuff on TikTok, the way they talk to me is not like the way they're going to talk to a news reporter or a psychologist. Yeah. They're open up all kinds of things, really good conversations, but they know right away if you want something from them. I mean, they're very highly intelligent in that area. Um, Even disguised street smart guys who aren't psychopathic because they're they're hustlers. They hustle their whole eyes on the street. No one's better than them. They can pull over, you know, pull over somebody's eyes quickly. So they kind of know when, you know, someone, someone wants something about them. So, I'm coming in with no agenda at all, just trying to get to know them. You know, not necessarily just to study the mind, get to really get to know them as a human being, encourage them and whatever, you know, they're into, if I can, if the prison facility allows certain things. Um, but yeah, it's, it's not just showing love, but it's that unconditional love. Because a lot of people to this day, I think the majority of people are kind to somebody. If you go out of the way to be kind to somebody, you have an agenda, you know, in a lot of cases. Yeah. You know, I'll, oh, I'll do this for you, but in my back of my mind, because I know, you know, this person, I need you to do him. And, you know, this, yeah. even if there's some type of agenda there, yeah. but unconditional love uh, and with no agenda, that's what makes the difference. You know, I mean, you can do, I mean, there's a guy, uh, I know an owner of a company, he has food kitchens set up and works at this organization, this and that helps out. It's all his own agenda. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, he's, he's a narcissist. Um, it's all about his name to get his company's name out there to get his name yeah. out there, you know, but I know him as a person, yeah, yeah, you know, know, not just not, you know, his wife's all right, but he's a total narcissist that you think, Hey, look at me. He loves to yeah, look at me and people congratulate him. Oh, you're doing good here. Yeah. You know, I try my best. You know, you're so full of it. You know, it just <laughs> makes me sick. Yeah. Um, but to really, again, unconditional love is the best way I can say it, you know, yeah. for nothing but the benefit of that person to help the other person out, even if it's a detriment of me or somebody else. I mean, that's the stuff that makes a difference. You know, mm-hmm. kindness, I mean, kindness is great. Be kind to everybody, love everybody, help everybody out. But I think it goes to a deeper level when you're truly doing it with no agenda at all. You're really just doing it that show that person love and compassion and, and want them to be better in whatever aspect, you know, they, uh, they need. That would be a good theme for the show, like an episode of like what, opinions of what makes them want to write back you know and mm-hmm. i know you've said in certain situations you have to be careful because you might be taken advantage of by somebody you know oh yeah I mean? oh yeah so Definitely. like they're they're looking at people different you know different for different things themselves too you know what i mean yeah i mean i would say a very high percentage want something from you yeah um and but again if, if you're doing it for a while you, you know that usually right away you yeah. kind of you kind of figure that stuff out. 
Um, but for the most part, you know, once that relationship is built, now you want that. I mean, they realize you're you're a, a tool for them to a degree. Like Dana Gray, hey, can you can you look up this article for me and print out a couple copies and send it to me? Um, can't see here, but there's a um, I what's the name of that? Walking horse, mm. walking horse. It's a, a place you can order stuff from. It's just tied to prisons. Hey, can you do this for me? Do that for me? You're going to get a couple of requests here and there. Um, but it's not the first thing. It's okay. We have been doing this for years and you're helping people out that way. Um, but after like the third letter, Hey, I really need a TV. You know, I really need a radio. I really need <laughs> then. All right, listen, yeah. I'll, I'll send you a book or something, you know, off the bat, you know, I'll help you out with a book or little, you know, something small, but you, you, you see through people right away. But there are a lot of people with an agenda on their side of why they are writing you. Um, the other thing, some of the more popular names, they'll get hundreds of letters every week. Like, what's his name? What was the kid's name in just the Idaho? Brian Kohlberger, I think his name was, yeah. something like that. Mm-hmm. He probably already has a stack of mail that's unbelievable right now. Mm-hmm. Um, not just from maybe psychologists, people who want interviews, um, but from like true crime fans. I guarantee he already has a stack. As soon as people know his, uh, his identification number, uh, prison number, um, it, he already has a stack of mail. If, if that information's out, as long as people can figure out, it's usually pretty simple to do. Um, I don't know if he's officially has a number yet, but he'll have a stack of mail right away. Um, like David Berkowitz, he has so much mail he gets every week. It's, it's ridiculous. He has to, before he, he has to sort it by name. Like he knows my name. So, okay. I'm one of the few people he writes back anymore, at least like, like every month writes back and talks to. He has that pile. People that he knows, but not that friendly with, it'll probably get back to eventually. Right. And a third pile of like, I, I've never heard of this person probably won't want him back but i'll keep this pile over here so that's the three piles he deals with and whenever i'm with mail day he has if it's every day or every once a week whatever it may be uh so if you're a name like that to try to sift through and find out people's agenda well when you have that many letters every day you can kind of get a sense of you know that and and people are some of the guys like jesperson is mindful of again when you're more narcissistic how much his letters are worth hmm. you know a, a letter a handwritten and signed letter with an envelope by keith jesperson probably between 25 and 50 bucks because at one point he was writing everybody. Right. Absolutely. Everybody. You get a letter from Jeffrey Dahmer handwritten with an envelope. Yeah. I don't know, 30, 40,000, $50,000, something, something outrageous. Cause he, there's only a couple in the world. You know, there's that many even out there. Um, even like, uh, like his glasses, Jeffrey Dahmer's glasses are on the market for $200,000. Hmm. So, but so <laughs> the more you write, the less your value is. Now, they need to make money. So whether they're selling their artwork or letters, who I write a letter, you know, give me money, sell the letter, get back to me with a couple bucks here and there. So they're mindful on that aspect of how much they write because their quote unquote worth goes down. And because the true market, such a true crime, true crime market as far as artwork and letters and things is so high right now. They're mindful, not writing too many people because their value goes down. So there's a lot of little things of why or why not they would write back. Have you ever had one of the inmates ask you why you wrote to them, you know, or is it just kind of like they're happy to get it so they don't ask questions? A few. Yeah. You know, a few or um, they'll find out, uh, what's his, what's, that's his name, uh, Darren Mack. Um, I saw a documentary on him where, long story short, um, through the divorce and custody battle and financial battle this and that he didn't like the way the judge was handling the trial his wife was getting way more than he thought she deserved so he killed her and threw a, cro- a park line across the street shot the judge with a long-range rifle 
almost killed him, shot him, you know, he hit him. Um, I was just fascinated by the whole documentary. So I wrote him, surprised he wrote right back, but wondering, you know, where I heard about him from, you know, so I say, where'd you hear me from? Not so much. Why are you writing me? I mean, mm-hmm. I might've got that maybe once or twice, but I don't, I don't really remember on top of my head, anything like that, but most like, where'd you hear about me from? Yeah. Or, you know, they're kind of, I guess, want to know how to approach me next to where, what documentary did you read? So mm. what did you hear about me specifically? Yeah. yeah. Then I'll tell you the truth. Like I didn't do it. I didn't do it. I didn't do it. You know, whatever it may be. Um, so they're kind of usually right off the bat. What about them specifically? Do you think you know about them? Okay. And they'll tell you quote unquote, the truth <laughs> about yeah, the matter, yeah. um, which, you know, nine times out of 10 are just full of crap. Uh, sometimes they're not. I mean, sometimes they're telling you more facts about the story. Like, oh, okay, this is now I know the real story. You know, it's, yeah. it's, the truth of, I didn't say I didn't kill him, you know, and, but the why might be different. This is what was really going through in my head, but you'll know this, but this is what they said about me before. So you get like, I'll watch a documentary that I already know the details about. I'm like, well, that's not even really true. Or the psychologist comes on there. Well, I believe this. No, that's not even, you know, remotely true at all. Um, that's kind of cool. You know, really getting to know somebody intimately, but it seems to be the first I get back first, letter, not all the time, but is what specifically do you know about me? So I know how to approach my next letter. And not, not that they say that, but in their mind, I'm thinking yeah. that, you know, this is how I'm going to approach this guy or that guy. And, um, and I'm, I'm kind of mindful of that now when I write the first time. I, I say a couple of things like that of where I'm writing, uh, like the Turpin family, the family, I think in 2018 or 19, husband and wife that tortured their, what, 14, 13 kids, whatever, in the house for, for years and years. Um, right before we went on, she called me. I had to swipe left as Louise called me on the phone, Louise and David Turpin. Mm-hmm. Um, but I mean, that's just a fascinating story itself where I knew the whole world hates her. Yeah. You know, even in prison, so like Dana Gray is in the same facility. She actually asked Dana about me, asked a few people, but Dana happened to be there. So, you know, Keith, you can write back because a lot of people are writing her. So cool. she was very mindful of who she even wanted to write back. I have to be on the good list, you know, from cause people. <laughs> Dana knew me for years and she was part of that circle of conversation. Oh, Keith, you know, Keith, you can trust. Um, so I'm working on a podcast with her. You know, it's going to take, I only do 50 minute time. So she'll be on a podcast soon enough, uh, Louise Turpin, but knowing right away, I have to be very, she's very fragile right now. You know, she's in denial, which she's even done, yeah. you know, she's gone back to her quote unquote Christian roots and just, Oh, everything's good. I have faith in God. Everything's better now. I'm feeling better now. Reality is going to hit this lady one day and it's just going to crush her. So I got to be very delicate. What I'm saying, even recording the, you know, the phone conversations with her permission, what I'm even saying to her, you know, because mm. she's going to hit hard one day because she does not know the reality of what she's done to the kids. You know, and the husband just does not care. He just talks to girls all the time. The husband's a whole different story. Their divorce is almost finalized now. Um, even one of the daughters is actually writing her. You know, that story is absolutely crazy. She's still in contact with one of the children. Um, yeah, but I'm mindful about what I say off the bat because I kind of know what you know what they're expecting to hear from quote-unquote fans or whatnot so i'm mindful of what i've said with her communicating with dana gray in prison it makes me wonder like i always assume that female prison might be not easier but maybe more i don't want to say welcoming when you come in but do you have any opinion on the difference between a male prison and a female prison at coming in as an inmate uh i guess it's a different story with them but like I almost feel like you might not be as friendly in the male prison as you would like there may be would they want to interact in a male. Pr- there's got to be, I don't know. I don't know, but I feel like there's a, 
there's a little it's a little more edgier probably in the male one right where it's a little more not friendlier but like i feel like there's almost more of a we're all in this together feel in a woman's prison as opposed mm-hmm. to a man's prison where it's still me against the world you know what i mean yeah i, I would say it's definitely true um there's issues with every prison obviously yeah but far more times it's the ma- the male prison where you really got to be mindful of but it also it also depends too like if you come in there and you're just a weak frail person knowing you can get taken advantage of you're going to be hurting either no matter where you go right certainly more so in a male prison uh but yeah i think there's more community minded in the female prison but again it also depends on the crime you got crimes against children mm. man or woman you're in trouble yeah you know um so a lot of it depends on the crime itself um and even with that even with the children with her like she doesn't have any friends. There. I think one person she talks to a little bit, um, even with Dana getting the word out of, hey, this person, right. It's they'll give her an answer. But as far as welcoming her into a group, <laughs> no, that that has not happened for her at all. OK. Mm-hmm. Um, she's really struggling with that. But, yeah, when you got those type of crimes of torture and kids and stuff like that, that's I mean, they know, obviously, there's something mentally wrong. Yeah. So it's not like you're just an evil person. There was many mental, I mean, she's sexually abused by her father. I mean, all kind of horrible things, her growing up too. Again, nothing is, is an excuse. It's just, you can kind of see where it starts to stem from. Um, but her almost like multiple personality disorder she has, I mean, she's way, way, way out there. You don't know who she's going to be at any given time. You know, one time she can be the violent person strangling her children. Like the other person reading you a verse from the Bible. Mm. You know, so right now, who she is to me is somebody who is like the grandma at church who does the Sunday school class who everybody loves and she hands out candy to everybody. That's the only person I've met. Yeah. I know that's not totality of who she is, of course, <laughs> Yeah, but that's why I got to be fragile because I'm talking to her like that person. Yeah. Like what I'm talking to her is that, um, or she's calling me almost every day now where not that I'm misleading her, but I'm just talking to that person saying, you're an encouragement to other people because of the abuse that you had growing up, that you survived it. Now, I didn't say, but you turned around and did nine times horrible thing. I, I didn't say that. Baby steps, um, yeah. Yeah, but we're, we're going to get to the children because my goal, again, is to help her. Well, part of the help of her is you got to know what you did was wrong. Yeah. So now you can start really healing, not just for acknowledging the horribleness of what you've done. Uh, I was going to say sin, but it's a it's a stronger word than torturing children. Just the word sin. It's that atro- atrocity to what she's done, but she hasn't opened that door yet. Right. Yeah. So baby steps. I don't, not that I'm a psychologist, but I do want to head her in that direction, at least so she can open up and talk to somebody you know, professionally about it. Yeah. Um, it's good. As I say, yeah, that's good. Cause I think like if, if letting her, if she never seen herself as a victim as well before, knowing that she was will definitely help her when she comes to realize the, you know what her her involvement in like the bad yeah game. exactly so that's where she kind of is now that a victim who has overcome yeah and now looking back to the bible as a, as a christian background but also a kind of a christian background that was extreme not extreme as far as religious views but extreme where um the, no divorce you can't get a divorce well that's some churches are like that, but it's not really a biblical thing. Even Jesus said, oh, you, somebody cheats on you. Just like, there's, there's, you can get divorced. But in her mind, she told me last night what blew me away when she was just a teenager, when she met David, even when she's got sexually abused with her father, David right there. 
hmm. while they're dating. And then he went away and started dating a couple other girls. A year or so came back and asked her to marry her, like the first night to get back together. She said no. That night, she said no about 20 times. So finally just caved in and said, yes, I'll marry you and get married when she's like 16 or something like that years old. Oh. So right from a father, a family member who raped her repeatedly and her sister to another man who has raped her, married her, I got unexpectedly pregnant with him, with the child so very soon after. We had to end the conversation because of 15, only 15 minutes with their allowed on phone calls um, where David said, we're, we're going to a doctor tomorrow and talk about abortion. So this is, and you under, you wonder why. Wow. Yeah. Not just what you did with you, but just get an idea of what, what would go through your mind you know, yeah. if that. So you've been raped by him. You said no to marrying him, but by the end of the night, you said yes, so marry him. Got married soon after, got, you know, abused the whole time, verbally, physically during that brief time that you were just barely married, now having children, now he wants you, is going to force you to have an abortion. So that's kind of where we ended our conversation. So that kind of gets you inside the mind a little bit of, yeah. you can kind of see where you know some wires got crossed. You know? Tragedy, um, man. Yeah, it's horrible. Yes. Yeah, so oh, why would they do what they do? Well, let's rewind and let me tell you this story. Yeah. This is where it started from. Again, it's not always one thing. It's multiple, 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 multiple things. Of course, she has a lot of mental issues. So at least writing to somebody like her is very, very fragile, like I was saying. And, and then we'll, you know, we'll see what happens in the future with her. Well, the letter real quick. I know you, we'll talk about the podcast real quick. Mm -hmm. um, the lighter side of serial killers. You know mm -hmm. what I mean? Great show. Everybody out there should go follow it uh, right now and listen to it. You know what I mean? When you were talking mm -hmm. about uh, the letters, I know you have a really good episode on there on how to write, like how you got involved with it <laughs> and for people at home and, do you think that like drawing on envelopes would be it would get be like a little extra oomph to make them pull your envelope out of the other pile, like pictures? Get, yeah, it would probably get refused at the prison oh, really? facility. Yeah, they're very very picky. What you now some you can, very few. Like I would tell you by your name, your your full name, return address, PO box, your address, whatever. Their full name, their ID number, even the letter itself. Um, regular white paper, regular lined white paper, a letter, not even legal paper, not the yellow paper, not this regular letter paper, only write on one side of the paper, black or, or blue ink. Don't put anything in the letter. Don't write on the, again, the back side of the letter. Very basic because um, facilities, sometimes that's all they allow. Sometimes they'll let you send a real picture. Sometimes only photocopy pictures. Sometimes you can send stamps. Sometimes you can't. Um, but they're very, very, very strict. Some facilities won't even hand them the letter. They photocopy everything. Hmm. And then you, they give it to them. They'll photocopy the envelope and photocopy whatever you know, the letter it is because they don't trust, you know, who knows what's in the stamp. I can lick the stamp with some, with some LSD or liquid one drug or another. So that's, that's the letters true. are always photocopied, yeah. Or cyanide, mm -hmm. yeah. Never know. And um, even like smells, some people allow you to put a little perfume on the letter, you know, or mm -hmm. whatever. Some like that, some can't even do that. They're afraid something is is mixed in with it. Um, again, that's why most photocopy it. Um, but to get somebody's attention, that yeah, that wouldn't work. Yeah, so most will just get rejected right away. You ever get a letter that you could not read a single word out of it? The penmanship was that bad. Yeah, BTK. Really? Yeah, Dennis Rader. Um, now he had he had some heart issues. I think he had a heart attack or a stroke. Um, oh, okay. But even even in the beginning, I've seen copies of his letters even before that. He's the worst. I mean, not, yeah. I don't think he's even close. Uh, he, he's, he's definitely pretty bad. Um, excuse me. Keith Jespers is not the greatest either. 
they'll take about three lines up for each word and, you know, very large cursive writing, you know, <laughs> I can get through most of his letters, but, but I think by far, there's some things on BTK. I, I have no idea what he even said, you know, in letters I have on him. I, I, I he's just, he's just out there. Uh, Robert Bardo. Um, he was one of the, you know, if you know who he is, he's one of the, because Rebecca Schaefer back in the eighties, if you've seen a picture of him, you know him right away. The first official, not official, but the first stalker that really got the popularity. Yeah. Um, He's going to have his tablet soon, so he can call me a lot more. So he's going to be on the podcast soon enough. Um, yeah, he's he's all over the place too, and uh, just the way they write. Um, the, I remember you might know this. You might be the only person that might know this answer. I remember the Bjork stalker. Do you remember the Bjork stalker? No. Um, no. In the nineties, he was a big fan. He said he. He, oh, the, who stalked the singer Bjork? Stalked the yes, singer. Yes, 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 yes. And he yes. did the vid, all the video and mailed her like a bomb yes. with acid in it. And uh, then he shot did, himself too, right? Did he kill himself? Then he killed, but that's like that's the best part of the whole story because like yeah. he baited himself up like her, and then yeah. he sang her song. Took he like shaved his head, and then he. The best part is this though. Behind him, I thought this was genius. Behind him, he put like canvases. So mm -hmm. when he shot himself, his plan was that his brains were going to go yeah. over these canvases. And, yeah. like, it, they, they said the best of me or something like that on the canvas, like something weird. And uh, I wonder what something like that would go for in the art oh, yeah. floating around. You know what I mean? Yeah. That, that's yeah, for sure. I mean, I think that's, you know, that's how Matt's going to go out. That dude <laughs> <Yeah>. failed. <laughs> that dude failed miserable. Not No blood even, uh, you know, his head didn't excuse the 22, I think. So it just bounced around in his head. Yeah, it, right, it, yeah. It didn't come out, but probably not even an exit wound. <laughs> yeah, the, the but there's a the sound of the blood rushing out of whatever <clears throat> was like one of the most horrifying things I ever heard at the time. Yeah, I mean there there would have been a buyer for that quickly, you know. I mean if it was available or something like that, you know. Obviously, if it got out of heaven, it'd be in police evidence. Probably never would have got out of that. To be honest with you, but even, I think there would have been a buyer. Yeah, even the empty canvas, because I'm pretty positive the canvas said the best of me on it, which was mm -hmm. kind of gangster to, to blow your brains all over something that said the best of me. And that yeah. scenario is kind of the most gangster thing of all time. Um, yeah. But that, yeah, well, what, with that, blood, if blood goes on stuff, I think evidence wise, they got to terminate, like destroy it. Right. Ain't that the deal? Some. Yeah. I mean, every every state's a little bit different Ooh. with that. But yeah, I mean, some of this be um, locked away. Some destroyed, you know, depending yeah. on how small or large, I guess, their place is. But yeah, but something like that, they might not have kept the whole tapestry, but someone would have cut that out, framed that portion up on the wall. Uh, people like everything. I mean, if you look, there's a, like William Harden, he has a website now that he took over and run um, called Murder Auction. Yeah. Where it's, it's eBay for basically true crime stuff. So you'll see things from anywhere, underwear from female serial killers are always out there. Um, uh, David Turpin, you know, from Turpin family. Mm. I want to have a shirt of his soon that he's sending out. So there's, they just send you, either they send you random things, um, but, or, you know, for most of them is for them to make money from yeah. uh, themselves. But it, if it's a part of a named person, a serial killer or a popular person, um, there's a market for it. You know, someone's going to want it, you know, mm -hmm. morbid or not. I mean, and someone's talking about morbidity uh, on some of the things that I have. Uh, he, he like, the Sopranos or I forget what Mafia or Goodfellas, whatever we're talking about. Mm -hmm. I'm like, if you had to, if, if someone gave you Al Capone's cigar box, I don't know if he has a cigar box. Let's, I just, I just said, probably did. Yeah. Al Capone's cigar box. 
Would you have it? Like, oh, yeah. yeah. What, what do you mean? Yeah. So I can have a serial killer piece of art or something a serial killer owned, but you can have, you know, I don't know if he's a psychopath or not, but a mobster who has many bodies underneath him for sure, but you're okay with that. And he's starting to see the hypocrisy, you know, on, on, on this and that. They go, he killed people too, buddy, you know? I would, I would almost, I would take, if, if I had like a Manson knife or fork from, from the Tate murder, I'd have that thing on like a little like like yeah. hang, like a little fucking thing holding it. Yeah. Um, I'd have the exorcism people come in and pray over it or something. Yeah. Yeah. Well, that's the thing. Going back to the mojo being attached to something, people think yeah. it's real. People still think it's real. <laughs> I tell you, but as much I honestly, I probably have just looking around my walls behind me. I mean, just today or the last couple of days, how many letters? I got David Berkowitz right here, Luis Turpin. Uh, Wayne Garrison, Eric Houston, school shooter, another David Berkowitz, Heavy the Heavy the Harmer, Carrigan, uh, Darren Mack, uh, who's that? Todd Colehef, one of the funniest guys I know. Another Haddon Clark, Dana Gray. That's from two days, you know. That's <laughs> so double you Berkowitz. The, the amount of letters that I have, the amount of five-inch binders that are filled with letters, the I don't know, three or four hundred pieces of artwork artwork that I have. If there's ever going to be a bad mojo floating around, you know, <laughs> it would be in my house. And I think I'm somewhat, you know, maybe I'm not perfectly sane, but yeah, I don't think it's rubbed off completely on me yet. Just light some sage and it'll be all right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we'll bring over a witch doctor and uh, he'll he'll uh, shake some bones for you. <laughs> so the, the, the podcast came about because you were doing like some TikTok videos. It all kind of started with TikTok mm-hmm. videos, if I remember correctly. Yeah, a friend of mine was trying to get me on TikTok forever. <clears throat> and every time I looked at what TikTok was, I know you can go live on TikTok, a little live stream. You hit the button or some roses, it turns into money. So if you got thousands of followers, you can make a lot of money. It's mostly, you know, hot girls bouncing up and down with the boobs, this and that. And uh, yeah. I didn't I think tried I it. It didn't a, work for me. <laughs> yeah. I didn't think I really would have a home there, you know? Um, it's like, what the hell? So he finally talked, this is like a year, you know, finally talked me into it and my page just blew up. I think by the end of the first week, I already had a thousand followers. Um, I think I'm almost up to 7,000 followers now. I don't know, about two months or so I've been on there, but upload, you can only do three minutes. That's the maximum amount of upload you can do. So I started uploading not just artwork, but conversations with people, serial killers that I had. And they started going crazy. Some like 14,000 views, 20,000 views. So I realized there was something there. People really enjoyed hearing my my talking to serial killers. So tell me some about the murder, but mostly, you know, like the Nada podcast, a lighter side of serial killers. So I talk about the artwork, positive things, what they're doing to get better, this and that. And I was like, what if like if a half hour podcast? And so I think I uploaded one on Spotify. I think I did it for a half hour one. I forget what one it was, maybe the Jesperson or Dana Gray one. And I think later that day or the next day I talked to you about maybe setting up a date for this podcast with you guys. Yeah. And I mentioned what I did, and that's when you had mentioned, hey, well, you know, maybe you know, we're looking to do something like that too. And that's what obviously we hooked up with the Bombastic Media Network. Um, so that's kind of the reasoning where people are really liking these three-minute uploads. But, man, I had to edit a half-hour phone conversation to three minutes. Yeah. You missed all the all the good stuff, you know, everything tying all, all together. Um, and even sometimes, even with a half hour, is very difficult um, to edit down. Uh, but I think it's a good time for me. You know, a good ha- a half hour is is, is a really good limit. Um, but it's different if we're like just talking to vibe and like us three here. We can we can probably go on for a couple hours easily. Yeah. But to really fine tune 
somebody and they can only like have either 15 minute or half hour conversations to, to really get it. I think it's a good time slot, a time slot, a time uh, limit, three, a uh, half hour works good. And so far, you know, it's just a matter of getting the word out there and let everybody know um, where it is, what it's called, because everybody has listened to it, um, loved it. They said, I've never heard of anything like it before. Yeah. And somebody the other day called me the serial killer whisperer. I ah, thought that was the greatest that. thing. I said, I'm like, I'll take that. I'll definitely take that. Yeah. That was crazy. <clears throat> but, um, but, but again, the lighter side of serial killers, that's kind of, yeah, I mean, the, I, I think it's all about the title. You know, really yeah. catchy, like the story of you. I mean, there's, there's play on words there, obviously. Serial killers and having victims in hell. Lighter side of serial killers. Um, cause it is. Now it gets morbid, you know, a little bit sometimes too. We are talking about serial killers, yeah. you know. But for the most part, you know, the only only podcast with a serial killer is called a show. You know, so I think I, we have something unique that no one's really ever done before. Um, and with some names, it's not like I'm just talking to Joe Blow, you know, you know, shout out 10 people who nobody knew. Yeah, David Berkowitz coming on, Dana Gray, Jefferson, you know, Wild Bill, you know, Albert. So legit names and some more people are coming on too. Um, they're out there, Haddon Clark, Wayne Garrison. Um, so it's kind of taken on almost like a life of its own, like, but it's almost like, natural like it, it pieces fit into place so perfectly the topics that we're talking about the lighter side you know it's it's a little different because everybody and their mother has a podcast true crime right now and all they're doing is going in live they're reading from something they're not even going on top of their head and they're just reading wikipedia mm-hmm. or murderpedia you know murderbilia you know that kind of thing yeah. they're just reading you're not even injecting their own opinions or you get two cute girls drinking all night talking about a case <laughs> okay cool that that's perfectly fine but everybody's doing that yeah. So I'm trying to do something that's so different. Maybe I might not have the views off the bat as two hot girls on a YouTube video that they can look at, <laughs> drinking wine and talking to crime, wine and crime. Um, but I think once the word gets out there more and what I'm doing, I think obviously the audience is going to grow and grow and grow. And we get 100 views here, 100 views there, whatever it may be to start out with. But I, I think um, it's just uniquely different. Mm-hmm. Um, it's like I have my own little lane, which I really want. You know, like it's like almost like when you hear an ACDC song or ZZ Top or Van, you know, it's them like their own lane. It's all music, but they got their own lane that they're in. So that's kind of what I wanted. And it looks like I have is my own lane because not anybody can just call a serial killer. Like, hey, you want to come on my show? <laughs> you know, so I, it's, yeah. it's definitely unique in that way. And, and which is great now because now that the show is established a little bit where I got multiple episodes and I have books out. It's not like I'm just a Joe Schmo. I'm like, hey, I have a podcast. It's here on all the major networks. It's doing this, promoting good thing. Hey, what do you got to promote? You want to talk about how your jail sucks? Great. Come on, and we're going to talk about that. It's your platform. With That's that's a benefit with Keith Jesperson. Yeah. It all started with he wanted to promote how his daughter was telling lies about him, about killing and torturing kittens and this and that. He realized, oh, my views on your page are getting you know 10,000 views. Oh, and I'm tagging his daughter. I'm tagging Dr. Phil. I'm tagging everybody else to get yeah. to see it. And <laughs> And now his daughter shut up about it. Dory's not saying a word about it anymore. She was blabbing and blabbing. So now she knows, you know, I get, you know, through all my social media, probably almost as much followers in, in as she does. Yeah. And um, what's crazy, I don't know if I told you privately or not, he only talked to one other girl who does a, a written blog, Beyond the Crime, it's called. Great blog, great girl. Um, he A bunch of phone calls with her, some audio stuff. Uh, but now he knows my platform's a lot bigger. So he's, you know, mostly talking just to her too, but mostly to me. Well, CNN wanted to do a piece on Keith Jesperson. One of the Wahlberg brothers also kind of wanted to do a little short piece on him. Mm-hmm. Well, the only information they had was her. So I missed CNN by about 10 minutes, <laughs> literally 10 minutes, because that's when I started getting popular. Because um, Keith told her about her later that day, 
is when we started everything and really put my stuff out there. So literally within one day, I had all my stuff out there and I would have had CNN. Um, no, I'm sorry. No, I got that wrong. Uh, he did tell me about CNN, but CNN that day closed everything. They already filmed her. Better off like two hours. He used her for like a 30 seconds or a minute spot on the show, whatever it was. Uh, that's right. But he told them about me a little too late because a conversation I have, I might upload it on one of the podcasts, him telling me CNN's going to give you a call. So I'm like, oh, but our next conversation is now they finished. You know, they're finished. I'm like, oh, <laughs> man, what a freaking what opportunity that would have been to be on CNN. So I would so, plug the podcast. I would plug the book, plug the network. Yeah, they, can still, they can still come back. You never know. Well, yeah, I think now now that the word's out there a little bit more, um, uh, eventually I will. I'm assuming people are going to come to me asking questions. And people always mess with me privately. Hey, how can I write him? Um, small, smaller time reporters, nothing like major or anything. So only time. Yeah, time will tell. I'm sure I'll get out there. Well, that's why the show is so unique. You know what I mean? Because like you said, it, you, you, you're actually having the serial killers on the show. You're not just somebody there talking about opinions. You know, you've, mm-hmm. you know. Everybody out there listening now, he's he he's core. He's done the research. He's corresponded with these people. He's built relationships with the people, which is the most important part of the whole entire thing. It's the relationship mm-hmm. that you've built mm-hmm. with them, and there's a trust there and a comfortableness that mm-hmm. they have with you that you you can't. If Mark Wal, if if a Wahlberg brother came in and had a ten million dollar budget, he wouldn't get the same cooperation out of them that you would get exactly that's relationship that's the beauty of the show and i think i think it's the best true crime show going personally and no, i appreciate it yeah i think everybody mm-hmm. should go check it out because i mean if you're into that stuff you're gonna find it there you know what i mean the books mm-hmm. as well you know with like uh jesperson you know it's a such a crazy yin and yang of like there's comedy to it, but there's like some re- there's really dark moments, and it's it the lighter side is the perfect name because it really meshes them nicely. You know, I, I remember the episode where you had the joke about the weight loss program, <laughs> which I was like blown yeah. away that that even came out. I was like, whoa, yeah, yeah. yeah so it, that's the thing. You, you laugh at the comment, and what you're talking about is when he he's he wanted to dispose of a body and he came to recollection of a, a tv show or a movie did he watch where he accidentally forgot about the dog was chained to the back of the car yeah. and there's not, nothing left of the dog by the end of the trip he's like well i can do that and goes into detail how he did it and he knew that I, I know i had three minutes between each section of cars on a highway once they pass i know i can pull over and blah 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 blah, blah. and nothing else you know it's a great weight loss program or you know whatever but he said it in such a way where you laugh you do but then after you're after you're done laughing you kind of think about it was I just laughed at that, you know, right in the middle. So you kind of, he's just such a funny guy, but you, the way he says things in, you, you catch yourself laughing at things. So I really laughed at that, but, but it was funny, but kind of sick. Yeah. You know, but it, and he has that throughout. I mean, I, I don't know how many hours I have conversations with him, but he's like that the whole time. You know, just nonchalant about everything. Where obviously you get very detailed about the memory of Tanya Bennett. I mean, yeah. very gruesome in detail and body fluids. But then he'll say something like, yes, you urinate yourself. Well, she had three pitches of beer, so what do you expect? You know, well, they say something like that to throw it in there. Like, <laughs> yeah, I didn't think about it like that. But yeah, you're right. You know, murder is right. a messy thing. You know, she had three pitches of beer. So it's yeah, it's 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 definitely unique. <laughs> We're talking about for sure. The latest episode out right now, part one of it, getting into that was like I would I, my jaw was dropped half of that time just being like, I can't believe it. And I, I tell you, anybody out there listening. 
it's the real deal. Like if you if if you like true crime, it's not watered down. You're gonna get you're getting a dose of true crime. Like you're getting the real deal <laughs> dose. You know what I mean? Yeah, I was surprised because a lot of the interviews I've heard from him, heard from him over the years, he's not shy about talking about things, but he'll have an agenda of what he wants, which he still uses me for an agenda too. You know, talking about the two people who, uh, um, you know, confessed to the crime, he wanted to get the agenda of how the police botched the whole thing. But he'll gloss over the specifics of the murder. You know, so it's also up to me as somebody you know, having a podcast now, how I get that out of him. So with Jesperson, you know, obviously more on the kind of a you know, narcissistic aspect of it, although I'm you know, very friendly with him now, you know how to talk to somebody like that, where you're just encouraging him the whole time and agreeing with him the whole time. And he feels comfortable saying, because I'm not like, ew, or no, you, you evil person. We're yeah. doing like we're best friends. So when, when, you, when he has that level of trust with me, I'm laughing at his joke. I'm a, I'm a legit laugh. I'm not fake laughing. I mean, most people caught themselves laughing if they listen to the podcast and other videos I've done with him. Um, but that level of trust where he's now comfortable talking about very violent things multiple times. Um, and with a lot of people, you know, they're like that, you know, with the crime, like Robert Bardo, we're going to get into his shooting of Rebecca Schaefer. And I've talked to him over the phone with it. Um, Louise Turpin, you know, we're talking, we're getting deeper and deeper with, with her. Um, uh, what's her name? Teresa Noel and an older lady who committed to murder with the family members. She's getting more comfortable. So the more comfortable they are knowing that I don't have an agenda as far as I'm, um, there's no gotcha moment. Ah, I gotcha. Yeah. Not trying to, you know, get some hidden secret or anything. So once they're comfortable talking to me about it uh, through letters or phone calls, then again, when they, when they go live or, you know, taping things, I'm going to not just get them to say things they've never said before, but the whole tone of the conversation is different because they know when 2020 calls them up, this reporter, the Gerardo, Rivera, Gerardo Rivera's of the world, they have an agenda they know they are hated. They know they just want one specific thing from them, ratings and this and that. But to me, it's just like us talking here. There's really no difference than yeah. me talking to them. People are like, oh, what do you talk about? Just the same thing I mean you were talking about. You're going to think most of these people have never had a friend to talk to their whole lives. You know, I mean, some were married and, and hidden things, but they had a secret. Well, now it's okay to talk about your secret. Yeah. I'm not judging you because of your secret. I know your secret. I know everything evil you've done. And we're still talking to his friends. We're still talking like, hey, how's the sport teams do? I mean, some have TVs there, some don't. Like Keith Jesperson, uh, last time I talked to him, did not know. Um, he knows what a cell phone is, didn't know what GPS was. Mm. As a long-haul truck driver, he's like, I mean, I, mean, I don't need CBs or anymore. I'm like, no, your direction, not only are directions on your phone, like a map, a visual map you're looking at, but it'll tell you what bridges your truck is too big to go under. So it's yeah. going to take you a speaker. He's like, what? He, he, he was really <laughs> amazed. Yeah. He thought that, and I was trying to explain what social media was in TikTok. Um, oh, so TikTok's like GoFundMe, right? So he does have no idea of, you know, some facilities have no online access. They're just so sheltered. Now, his facility is a great facility from, you know, from sporting things they can do. I think they had a swimming pool in the one area. So, I mean, they have some, you know, very liberal um, area with great rehabilitation. But you still can't go online. There's still a lot of things you can't do. So some of our still shows sheltered. Most of our conversation about what's going on in life, like Robert Bardo, um, you know, what politician won the race? We talk about, you know, who's running for reelection. Um, hey, so-and-so died. You know, the Fleetwood Mac lady died. You know, how did she die? You know, can you tell me more? So just like everyday stuff that they don't have access to, the basic general knowledge is a popular thing we talk about. Um, just social media in general or, 
very rarely is anything about their case. You know, it's nothing about murder, which most people who write and talk to them, they just want to hear about the murder. They want to hear about killing and where the rest of the body's at and this and that. And they don't want to talk about that stuff very rarely. They want a friend to talk to like we're talking here, just uh, just in general. Hey, what book are you reading? Oh, I like zombies. Let's talk about, did you read this zombie book? I have people, I have, I don't know, 20 books that people from prison sent me. They either sent me their copy or they ordered me a copy. Hey, check this book out. You know, and uh, like Eric Houston uh, does that a lot. And maybe I'll have him on a podcast one time. One of the early school shooters, Lindhurst school shooter. He's always great artist too. Always sending me books. You got to check this zombie book. I haven't read one zombie book yet, but I got like 20 of them in the other room. Um, but that's just things we talk about, you know, just random things, but very, very rarely about the crime. Because you know, I'm trying to keep them encouraged. Um, obviously all positive. Again, the lighter side of serial killers, keep everything on the positive agenda. But like I said, it's still a true crime podcast and is kind of go down a dark side a lot of times too. Um, like Yumasaki wasn't the most friendliest, lightest conversation. I was getting detail about his murder. Um, obviously Jesperson, you know, can go both ways and be lighthearted or it can be very, you know, dark. Wild Bill was a lot of fun. You know, you got like, you yeah. almost want to drink beers with Wild Bill. You know, he just yeah. seems like, like you yeah. listen to the interview, close your eyes and you can picture yourself being in a bar, like drinking, hearing these stories mm -hmm. from Wild Bill. Now, yeah, his, we, yeah. His prisons, isn't he like in some third world country or some like crazy place with his prison? He, he's in one of the worst prisons in that, in that area, Panamanian prison, La Jolla complex. Yeah. And it's in sector C, I believe. It's like the worst part of the prison where they have running water, about an hour or two a day, if you're lucky. So it's so bad where you got to you got to take a crap, you got to take it on the napkin and put it outside your window. And low man on a totem pole has to come by and clean it up because there's no running water to flush. <laughs> a so lot of these, the a lot of these folks that you you know, you, you, the the cell phones are like snuck in cell phones too. You know what I mean? Mm -hmm. It was crazy when Wild Bill was talking about how bad the like corrupt the, the prison was i was like worried about the guy i'm like they're gonna fucking kill you talking like that chill out dude yeah well and he got in trouble because he had a lot of money and fame when he came in there he's at the better part of the prison yeah, he was okay. barbecuing they had hookers coming in every day kfc takeout the yeah, whole nine yards well and, and uh a magazine in uk called the mirror uh you know they came to magazine interviewed him and he sent them a whole bunch of pictures him showing, again, wide of $100 bills, like a deck of cards flashed out, barbecuing, hookers coming in. The whole show, they weren't supposed to publish it. They published it. Yeah. That's why he's in Sector C right now, the worst part of the prison, which you're only supposed to be in there for like a year or two or a short amount of time. He's been there for forever. It doesn't look like he's going to get out. It was a glimmer of hope, but not too hopeful right now. He so said pictures of they got the goon squad that comes in once in a while. They'll just come in full gear. Just pepper spray everybody, turn your place upside down, destroy everything. All the water jugs that they collect, like the plastic five-gallon water jugs, so they can have something to drink during while there's no water, they turn it upside down, empty the whole thing out just because they can. Now, there was a shooting there. They realized people smuggle guns in and things like that, so now it's even worse. Um, but that's the level where he's at. Uh, one of the TikTok videos I posted would have that cell phone blockers, the signal blockers on yeah. the towers up on the top. So all the Wi-Fi, the routers and everything else, the cell phone, you got to walk almost inch by inch around the facility to see where you can get your cell phone signal at. So now he just paid for uh, an iPhone. Now it might be an iPhone 5, but it's an iPhone way better than what he had before. So now he can talk a lot clearer. That's why the, the podcast, now I got video editing software. I can clean things up a little bit, but it was very clear. It's almost yeah. like someone's just calling you on a cell phone. So you had a good signal that day. Um, so I'll have him, he'll come on anytime I want. So I talk to him almost every day. 
um, again, through uh, like WhatsApp. That's what he has. WhatsApp. He has a Facebook page. He has an uh, Instagram page. Um, so he, he has he has all kind of internet access in one of the worst facilities in the world. Basically, it's Is amazing. He there forever. You get, you Is he there money. forever? What's that? Is he there forever? No. Well, in that area, in the Panamanian, Colombian, whatever area, for his crimes, I think you're the max you can do. I thought it was like 20 years or a little less or something like that, but they gave him like double. <laughs> so he, he just got a letter saying they reduced two years off his sentence for some reason. He just published, he posted that a couple of days ago. Um, but legally he shouldn't be that much longer. Now maybe another five or six years, I think, cause he's been there for a while already, but legally he probably should be within 10 years. He should be out five or 10 years, whatever, but they're just not, they don't care. You know, there's not exactly yeah. follow follow the rules per se. So there's a chance he can get out and a chance he can never get out. He can't come back to America. There's he other can. crimes he hasn't been charged with, uh, fr- fraud and some other things. So he wouldn't mm-hmm. be able to come back to America. That's for sure. And you helped him write a book, right? Get a book. Yeah. Published? His first book. Yeah. Long live the King wild bill. It's a great book. Kind of what led up, um, once he was like kind of the chase, you know, and up, up until where he got caught. Yeah. Um, doesn't get doesn't talk about the murders or anything. Doesn't talk. His new book he's working on now is about his life at La Jolla prison um, and the craziness that that is. Um, but yeah, by talking to him, he already had something written down. So I encouraged him, you know, to keep 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 writing it, keep writing it, and he sort of got you know until the whole book was basically finished. Um, yeah, but through the guy I used to help edit my book, I mean, with, with Amazon and everything else, you can self publish anything you want. Yeah. Um, but he raised the money. He got about three or four hundred bucks up uh, for the editor and, you know, to make sure to fine tune everything. I set up an Amazon account so he can get paid through the books uh, through his mom. Mom was a big help. So I got his mom. Ban- mom gave me her checking information, the banking information. So I set up a PayPal account um, to all the funds, you know, to go directly, obviously, to him. Um, still selling books. You know, he made like made 50 bucks last month on books. So he's, he's income coming in, That's you know, for, uh, from from that. Even though the book's been out, been out a while. Now, does, he write, uh, does he write by hand and send it to somebody? Or does he type it up in like their like library area or whatever? No, no, there's no library there. there. <laughs> <laughs> he lives in dirt. Ain't that know, next to the pool? <laughs> the library ain't next to the pool? That's exactly right, yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> right next to the gym. Uh-huh. <laughs> uh-huh. But no, he has people type it up for him. His lawyer, gets he gets sent out. Um, he has a myriad of women who follow him, who love him, do anything for him. You know, the crazy chicks who just love, you know, serial killers and true crime guys. That charisma. He's got charisma for days. I can see the ladies loving yeah. him. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Good looking guy. He's working out now. He lost all his weight. Has a voice for radio. He you know really I mean? has an a amazing, great... amazing voice. Very crystal clear. Great to talk to. Podcast. I, yeah, exactly. <laughs> I, I, I did a, uh, um, I did a live TikTok with him. It was tremendous. You know, he had, he had tons of followers following along. Um, so he was a blast. People just—they couldn't believe he was a well. Let's say hitman, but you know, most of it is killed for money. Realistically, he calls himself a cartel hitman. He wiped a couple guys out for cartel, but he's mostly just a self, just for the money for the most part. Yeah. Um, but listen to his voice—you never you think of it. You no, know, he's just a DJ or something. Yeah, you, know, you can't you can't put the two and two together. Yeah, you know, it's very hard to see the crimes that he had, did do, and then with their voice, it's just just strange. Yeah, because he didn't consider himself a serial killer, right? He just considered him a gun for hire type deal, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's a little weird for him. I mean, he likes to promote, again, just, again a narcissist I mean, to the nth degree. Um, 
the prison chaplain now, you know, but, you know, but he still has, you know, girls sending them all kind of crazy pictures every day. You know, he's still a total <laughs> whore. <laughs> but, um, uh, but he's a funny guy for sure. Um, but he considers himself a cartel hitman. That's what he goes by. True or not, you know, it, it's hard to say because one guy was in kind of protection, witness protection got him. He says well, another guy was a drug guy, owed money to the cartels. Yeah, maybe, maybe not. The other one, they just happened to own places that he wanted. You know, took over their house. It took over the club that they owned, the, the place right on the on the river. Um, beautiful club. You know, there was one guy, but you killed the husband, you killed the wife, you killed the kid. They played the whole family. It wasn't really a hit per se, you know. So, yeah. I don't know. Maybe, maybe, maybe not. You did something for a cartel. Um I'm not sure how how deep that truth actually goes. I think you know, killer for money type of deal, but I, I don't know. <laughs> I heard the podcast might be getting another big guest coming up. Some David getting some David in your life. Yeah, I mean, I knew David big. Berkowitz, the son of Sam, for for a long time now. One of the, one of the earlier people I wrote, not too far after Charles Tex Watson. So I've known him for many years. Now we have a background as far as a Christian background connection. I've done a project with him outside of this. Um, for another organization. So again, I'm somebody he trusts with everything. Um, so he said yes right away. I just have to wait for my phone number gets approved. It could take two weeks. It could take a month. My number to get approved by his facility, mm. uh, and then and then he can call. When so you said when you, when sorry when you say another organization, like a religious organization, I'm guessing right? Yeah, it was something called the Saints Prison Ministry. What they do. Okay. Really good stuff. I mean, not just for the you know the Christian aspect, the religious aspect of it, but they do. They go into the prisons to play sports. Okay. A real softball game, a real soccer game, a real base basketball game, like with legit players, not just a couple old guys in their sixties. Like it's a competitive game. And then after the game, they get around. They you know give the gospel you know presentation this and that and all the information they want to continue to write, whether it's to help them with schooling, help them Bible studies. I mean, I came in. I didn't go visit facilities. I didn't, you know, I was working. I couldn't go cross country to all the facilities, but I helped guys in their Bible studies and we did testing back and forth. That was kind of my part probably 25 years ago, I guess I was working with that organization. So somehow David found out that I was a part of it. Um, because a lot of these guys too, what they don't realize that men and women, they'll look you up hmm. like, like, uh, like David like Chapman, the killer John Lennon. He looked me up big time. Because his wife and other people that he wrote in, so he doesn't talk to too many people. I barely even talk to him now. Um, they'll, they'll do a Google search, an online search, make sure you're a real person. Then he saw I was known for a songwriter. I got you know published music all over the place. So they, oh, you're a Christian songwriter. You got songs published. Oh, hey, I can talk to you now. I trust you. You know, so they'll look you up. So you better be legit. You know, if you say if you say you're somebody, you better be somebody. Yeah. They're going to find out. Like Keith Jesperson, for, for example, uh, piece that I wanted to buy from him. He sent me it. Now, something, I think I was on vacation or something like that. So if I get the piece in the mail, you better pay him. You better get that money into his account quickly. Like <laughs> yeah. it's all, it's all uh, through, a, through an app. So he can do it instantly. Well, it's like a week, week and a half. So the next letter I got from him saying, it was a nice letter, but he made sure he said, hey, I noticed you published the piece of artwork I gave you on your Facebook page or whatever page I sent it on. Um, just to let you know, I didn't, I didn't receive any money for it yet. So yeah. they got <laughs> eyes everywhere. Yeah. You know, they have no access to social media, but they got eyes everywhere. <laughs> so somehow David told him or he looked into me or whatever, found out that I used to like years ago, like decades ago, I used to work. I used to help out and volunteer there. So did he. 
But now they have, I guess, a different leadership. So, like, man, that might be cool if we did something together for, for that. And I reached out to the new leadership. They were totally hesitant at first. They thought, I don't know. But no, listen, he's legit. I believe he's a legit Christian guy. He has a nice ministry. He's doing good for many people out there. So once I kind of convinced them and, and you know, sent him information of what David's doing and his website and things like that, they agreed. So it's kind of like a Q&A that we did about they ask a bunch. Of, I answered my questions, too, but mostly them asking him questions about, hey, about volunteer work. What's more effective if volunteers come into the prison, into the facilities or if they do X, Y and Z? What do you think? So it was a very positive interview with them. Um, so that was and then it got published, you know, whatever publication that they do for the newsletters and websites and all that kind of stuff. So it went very well. Uh, he really enjoyed that. Yeah, so I have a, obviously a level of trust with him. So he enjoyed, you know, he said right away that he'll come on. Um, but he also knows I'm not going to ambush him. Um, like Wayne, Zirico Wayne Garrison, who does like the real, the real tremendous artwork. Um, obviously it's not a video one, but behind me, all the trucks, uh, Wayne Garrison is one that handmade all those amazing cars and trucks and amazing artwork. Um, piece that he just sent me might be, he might be done with artwork now. His eyes are real bad. Um, but he's been ambushed multiple times on shows or radio interviews, whatever it was talking about the murders and kids and things like that. And I told him, listen, this is the lighter side. Yeah. I was like, I, <laughs> This is kind of the questions I want to give you ahead of time, give you an idea of what we can talk about, uh, most of your artwork, yeah. but you know, whatever you, you're comfortable talking about. So he trusts me. He, he said he tried to call, but I didn't see the call come through. So maybe, I don't know if maybe I gave him the wrong number by accident. So he's going to come on. But it's just that level of trust. You know, that I'm not going to ambush you because in their mind, they think they don't know about editing. You know, I was right. like, listen, it's not live, right. you know, but they're still afraid that they might say something to get in trouble. Um, the, you know, the, the, uh, um, Chris Kyle, the American sniper is called yeah. the TV shows. Mm. Um, well, he's killer. Um, I've been, I've been talking to him for a while now. Uh, Eddie Ralph, um, just sent you guys can't, can't see, but he just sent me a bunch of Polaroids of all the artwork that he's done. Oh, there you he, go. Want me, he want me to publish this on all his, uh, on my social media sites. Oh, People want to Leatherface. Nice. Reach out, reach out to him. Another like Leatherface. All different ones. And I got some artwork from him too. A real artwork from him. <clears throat> but what he said he would love to come on, but he's forbidden to go on any type of kind of, so he can't have a social media platform. So he was afraid that kind of like being on a social media platform with a podcast, right. he might get in trouble. So as much as he wanted to do it, he can't do it because of that reason. I had to be real careful. Another artist on Death Row, Arizona Death Row, probably the most detailed true crime dark artist. You probably see me post a lot of Charles Reinhardt, that really dark art work um, that he has, the most amazing things I've ever seen. He was going to come. I, I did a podcast with him before on the TikTok, a small one, a small a podcast, a small upload. Initially, you agree. We're going to do it last night. Um, but he says he's, he's close to getting off a of death row. It might just be life without parole. You know, we, he's, there's some good things happening. He didn't want to take a chance. And right. a real, he had to kind of cancel the last seconds. I was going to have him on talk about his artwork. And we might, might be able to convince him to come back, you know, and do it again. If we be more mindful of what, you know, dance around the murders and stuff. Mm. Um, but most people said, yeah. You know, once again, that I've known for a while to come on, whether it's to get their own agenda across, like, like Bardo, Robert Bardo, anti-gun, has a big stance on that. He's not all together, in said, but yeah. he's still, he's still, you know, out there a bit. But his anti-gun control, the gun control thing. So we're going to talk a lot about that. So oh, I'll definitely come on for that. Um, so again, once they see I also have a platform that they can get their views or whatever they want to say off their chest and know people are going to hear yeah, um, they're realizing that too. So it's just been pretty easy to get some guests on. So David Burke was always probably the um, probably the biggest name, I guess, so far. Yeah. Um, 
Manson family member, um, Dave Bruce Davis. He's kind of one that did the majority of the killings too. I see a lot more killings. People don't even know <laughs> he did, uh, on him. Um, just heard back from him. Um, so I sent him my number and hopefully I can get him to come on. Um, also, that would be another big name. I think if we had big name. I mean, obviously, Dana Gray is one of the most popular female ones. Jesperson. Um, going to have Haddon Clark, the cross-dressing cannibal. He'll come on pretty soon. He has just the most amazing, amazing stories himself. Um, so it's good. I mean, definitely, definitely got some big names coming up. You know, in the same way that you, you'll hear the uh, true crime fans will have a whole bunch of mail for these, for these, for the inmates. Do they get hate mail? Do they ever get it? You know, a, a, a bunch of or a little bit of mail that's just you. You know, you're awful. You should burn in hell. Or is that just like no? I, honestly, I've never asked them. And yeah. I'm sure they do. I mean, I can't imagine that they don't. It's interesting. Yeah. There's people that would sit down and just write that. The people they're not involved in it, or maybe they are. Yeah. Uh, they just write. They find it a, a need to do it. Uh, weird. I assume they're there though too. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, they could. I mean, sure they can find out how. But it's very hard to find out unless you're in know how to do it to get somebody's ID number and how to write a facility because the mailing address is typically different than the address for writing somebody to. Yeah. I mean, uh, some the facility might be in Florida, but you got to write Kentucky. Mm-hmm. You know, if they handle the mail, there's a lot of a lot of goofiness going around. Yeah. Just like when I get a phone call, most of my phone calls, I look at my ID on my phone. It says Texas. Well, I guess that there's some kind of telecom, whatever organization that handles phone calls for like everywhere. Mm. And so a lot of times my phone rings and it says Texas. I have no idea until I pick up the phone. You have a call from so and so or so and so. I have no idea. Some some facilities I know. There's like three or four different people that Texas handle different facilities, California, Oregon. Uh, in a few other places that I know. Um, but I have no idea who's calling most of the time. Yeah, but uh, mm. it's, it's it's crazy. But yeah, as far as hate mail goes, I'm sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm sure they, they have a little bit for sure. It's got to be a, because um, every, I assume every conversation's recorded. So it's probably something like that. Yeah. Where, like the Texas mm-hmm. is where like the recording station is, so to speak. Yeah, that, I mean, the, obviously I edit all my phone calls. I yeah. edit out where every, I don't know, let's say it's a half hour phone call, maybe two or three times. This conversation is being recorded and monitored for your protection, whatever it may be. I mean, they, 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 that always comes up, you know, on, on the phone, no matter who, which facility you're talking to. So it's definitely recorded. Um, most facilities, whether they read the mail or not, they're allowed. It's, you know, on their website, we can go through the mail. We can read it. We can do every one. Same to outgoing mail. They can read it. Whether some yeah. facilities do or not, you know, it depends. Um, I was surprised surprised that in the story of you in the, the the letters i was talking about how he sent me that 16 pages or so of just a lot of jumble incoherent writing what i mean it, you can't follow it i mean it's not followable it's almost you're reading it for enjoyment almost you just can't follow along right one of the random sentences was how people in the facility have had sex with um the jail guards there at, at his texas facility in jester unit so i don't know how but they refused to give you Masaki my book. He still hasn't read it yet. They held mm. it from him, but they had a question about that sentence. Oh, so really? he, he's hard to understand a lot of times talking to him. You see the editing I had to do to get that conversation podcast out with you. <laughs> <laughs> There's about nine seconds between each word that he says. So There's a hell of a lot of cutting and splicing <laughs> to put that thing to go. You know, so it sounds like a normal conversation. Um, but he had told me, there's something on page, whatever it was, 300 and this and that. And I'm like, what the hell's on that page? I'm looking, okay, that's your rambling letters. Then I had to go through and finally I saw 
right on those pages he was talking about where he did say that, you know, people at this facility has had sex with the inmates. So mm -hmm. that's that's why they held the book. But they must have read every freaking inch, oh, every yeah. letter and word of my book about him. Um, and that's rare. I mean, that's maybe just out of enjoyment. Hey, let me see this or maybe the I mean, he's already sentenced. It's not like he can't get any more time. I don't know. Maybe they thought it's, maybe he would confess to more things or not. I'm not sure. But that was rare. I mean, to that's find in that specific spot at the end of the book, the appendix, whatever the hell I called it at the back, to find that one sentence was, it still blows my mind. He still hasn't got the book yet. That sex had to have been pretty open in the public almost, too, because like, or like very well known. Because I, listening to him, I don't really take him for someone who has a lot of pals, a lot of communication with different <laughs> inmates and stuff, very to himself. So he <laughs> would have had to have seen it personally, you know what I mean? Mm hmm. That's crazy. I've always wondered that about prisons because, you know, you got both female and male, uh, the guards and doing favors and such. And, you know, sex is a big part of life, I guess they would say. So mm -hmm. they would be, you know, found there in very mm -hmm. tense work atmosphere. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You see that more sexual aspect in female prisons. Yeah. You see it a little bit more there than you do I, in male prisons. I can see There's that. Not too many female guards are going to handle male prisoners. So you don't, you just don't see that just for strength wise, you know, very, very rarely. Yeah. Or if you do, it's this big pearly mama looks like she's sitting on the corner, sucking on the pork chop, waiting oh for the bus. Yeah. You know, you're not exactly <laughs> the most sexually attractive person in the world. Um, but a female facility is different because you still have a majority of male officers there. Um, so that's a little different. You know, that happens a lot more in female facilities than the male facilities for a hundred percent. I wonder if that's a firing offense or a move around. Oh, yeah. Probably a move yeah. around. You think they fire him or they move him around? I, I, I'd i imagine, yeah. I mean, I'm fire not sure. Yeah, I mean, I want to say it, it's a law, but it's. Um, oh, it is a law. If it's chargeable, hmm. some, some facilities are a little different than others. Uh, when something like that happens. But no, that's that's not good. Yeah, you're, oh, you're yeah, definitely yeah, good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> At first, it's good. Then it's bad. They say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, uh, but again, but it's it's for favors, you know. And uh, yeah. hey, you know, if it's a male guard sleeping with the hot chick in there, hey, I'll sleep with you if you got to do me a favor. Right. You, you got to bring me in this. You got to bring me in that. Yeah. Every facility. How do you think the drugs come in there? Drugs always come in through the officers, through somebody yeah. there. There's yeah. a lot of people at their private visits. A lot of them are strip search coming down or coming in. Now, there's only so much you can do. I don't care what you're shoving up your butt or this and that. You're, 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 you're being watched. Yeah, you're being yeah. watched. You can't just grab your butt. You can't, you know, you can't kiss him. You can't touch some people. So is the ways it's coming in. I mean, even the show uh, 60 Days In or 90 Days In, whatever that show is. I mean, it's, it's half crap, but um, they know they're being filmed all over the place. So it's kind of not crazy about the show. But how they get drugs in, you can see them, how it's transferred on the, on the kitchen plates. You know, you're handing them, you know, what's on the bottom of the plate. You transfer it over. The guy, the chef, the, the guard gave it to the chef, and the chef gave it to you. Or, you know, the guy, you know, yeah. cooking it, not the chef. Um, but, yeah, that's the only way. The guard's always bringing it in. But they're getting a cut of the money. You know, whether it be on the outside of getting paid or it's, it's the only way it comes in. You know, I mean, yeah, you can, you can, you can, you can shove it up your ass before you get into prison. Then when you're out, when you're in there, then you can, you know, you can crap it out later and things. So there's, there's, there's ways, other ways you can do it. But it's mostly through, through the guards. Mm -hmm. well well Keith this has been a fantastic voyage as usual 
Yeah, on that note. On that note, <laughs> uh, everybody definitely go check out the lighter side of serial killers with Keith Rovere. You can go catch that anywhere you listen to podcasts. You know, mm-hmm. proud we're proud to have it on the Boombastic Media Network. Mm-hmm. Um, go check out his books as well. They're on Amazon. The first one, Serial Killers in Heaven, Victims in Hell, question mark. And the new one, The Story of Why You, which I think everybody should go pick it up. It's a great book for real. I loved it. Yeah, the psychology and it's really great. And for the true, real true crimers that love that, that love the, love, love the, 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 the crime of it. You know, <laughs> Heron, Heron, why you go into the, some of the details of him going through, you know, the psychology of him talking about like how he went to go with Maggie. And I think it was the father. Mm-hmm. He was going to, he was driving to the house and he was going to, he was going to run him over and then like it. He just decided he didn't want to do it once, and then like eventually he did get him, and multiple times, first multiple times, and it just you know it's always hearing you know reading him give his his like the the the, you know he didn't forget a fucking thing like he remembered everything you know what I mean and he just kind of baboop you know the jump getting shot and jumping the multiple times deal. You know, just a lot of elements to death that you don't see in TV and movies. You have to see something real or whatever to get. It's just, it's all there. It's crazy. It's uh, very and it's not just the words, not just him reliving it verbally, but he drew pictures, which I've included in the book. Yes. Detailing the shootings and this and that and the abuse and everything. And I only have, I probably only put 10% of the drawings I have that he gave me detailing the crime and his life story he's only somebody i want to make it a picture book but that's how many <laughs> things that he had in there his fixation with maggie and all that I and mean, he's still fixated to this day but yeah it's it's there's pictures that he personally drew that are in there of it, depicting all that stuff the one the, the picture that sticks out to my head the most is the the what the kill the kill picture where mm-hmm. he talks about like her, the way her hands are and her legs are yeah. up and it's like very dark stuff and yeah it's it's obsession. His whole deal was kind of like obsession with her. You know what I mean? And just it's part of Asperger's, where you're yeah. fixated. It could be a, a a toy. It could be a sporting team. In his case, it was dating, and it was Maggie. Yeah. And 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 once that happens with Asperger's, let alone now you're psychotic and and mix all that you know, all the other stuff into it, you're done. Yeah. You know? and like, like I mean, he said it the best. I'm gonna say it the best, but he said it where if I can't have her seed, no one's gonna have her seed. And no one did. They can't say he's a liar, that's for sure. <laughs> they say a lot of yeah, things they, about him. A liar is not. They can say a lot of things, but a liar is not one of them things. But <laughs> uh, definitely go check out the podcast. Go be- buy all them books. They're very reasonably priced on Amazon, too. I think they're twelve ninety nine, if I remember correctly. Mm-hmm. Great pickup. You know, that, you love true crime. You're going to love the book. You know what I mean? Both of them. Even if you don't like true crime, you just want to know the inner psyche of almost, I hate to call people evil, but like evil situation. Mm-hmm. To be involved in such an evil situation, the inner workings of it. And uh, not t- the real stuff, not TV, movies, not the Dama miniseries, but real <laughs> stuff. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Very interesting stuff. Go support Keith for sure. Hell yeah.
Yeah, I appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Okay. Anytime. Is there any, uh, do you want to promote the TikTok and anywhere else that they can catch you? I know we get the pot. They know about the podcast and the books. Yeah, yeah. All the, all the major sites you can follow me on just my name, Keith Revere, K-A-I-T-H-R-O-V-R-E. Um, I'm on all the sites. You can follow me on there, but, uh, right now, most important thing I'm enjoying is the podcast. Yeah. The Lifetime Serial Killers. We're trying to do every Thursday evening, put a new one up. Um, yeah, share that and get the get the word out there and build that little following up. But that's mostly what I'm focused on now is, is working on the podcast. Hell yeah, share, share, share. Support, support, support. Like I said, this is the last episode of Behold for this season. So during our break, go devour all of those episodes on the lighter side of serial killers and then stick with them with us when we come back. And we'll all be doing it big. You know what I mean? Beautiful. Very nice. All right, and everybody out there, we want to thank y'all for listening, and we'll catch y'all next season on Behold, 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 a Pale Podcast. Woo! You know, she was dating JC. Um, you kind of gave up on, you know, trying to find somebody else, and you said, if I can't have her, nobody could have her. What was kind of going on in your mind? Obviously, uh, was it that the point you decided, uh, you know, I'm going to have to kill her? Well, I think multiple things were going on with me. First, I, I couldn't find any woman either to have as a girlfriend or, or somebody to sleep with, and uh, so I, it built up the frustration, rejected. You felt rejected? Yes, I, I, I would look at the same way. Well, at least that's how I felt. I think I was hopeless with her. Uh, I don't think I have any chance. Uh, like, they were saying that I didn't say anything before uh, at the shooting. I was like, it's too late. Uh, uh, I'm here to here for shooting. I'm not here to talk. When I read the deposition, well, like, I mean, I understand. Uh, say something. We, we could have been talked to some, we come to some agreement instead of shooting, mm-hmm. but I, I wasn't in the state of mind.